Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. All right, what's going on? Coach Lucas back here with the Vigor Life Podcast. And um, I decided to do another episode on program design. And um, some of it because I got a lot of messages and really, really good feedback on the previous one that I did. Um, to dive into, uh, I had a number of people ask me about the R7 uh, process that we use. And, and once I, I want to make sure I pay homage to, you know, the guys that created it, who are Mike Robertson and Bill Hartman, two really sharp dudes. They're doing amazing stuff. Um, Mike has, I mean, you should check out a lot of the, uh, like I said, resources Mike puts out because it's, it's phenomenal. He's got also got a podcast called the Physical Preparation Podcast. Um, but that was the, like I said, I got exposed to it. And I just really liked the framework um, of it. And we started using it everywhere and tweaking it and kind of uh, using it for actually group programming too. So what I'm going to do today, I, like I kind of just dive in. So I, you know, I may, I may kind of veer off here. Um, and, and if I do veer off, then, you know, then I'm, then I'm going to veer off. Um, but, but touch on as much as possible when it comes to um, uh, program design. Like I said, veering off is because sometimes I'll read through stuff and um, and like I'll, I'll, I'll think of something, right? Like, oh, uh, let me, let me uh, touch base on like this specific thing, right? And, and I'll run into it. I'm actually pulling up some, uh, some other things here. Let's see. Okay. Uh, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to this uh, this thing that I was searching for, but I still want to kind of wrap. Like, I'm gonna, I'm going to speak in a in a format of uh, you know whether you're writing your program for yourself or if you're doing it for clients. Um, and I kind of covered in the last one these ten principles of you know kind of creating a roadmap right to to a quality program. Um, but there's also there's also like a little bit of a not just a little bit, but a lot of a mindset to writing, you know, a great program. At, at least I think so. And, you know, we always talk about this, like, you know, GPS, where your starting point is. So it, whether like client, athlete, to me, it's all the same. If I say client, it just means, you know, if they're an athlete, they're an athlete. If they're a general population client, then then they're a general pop client. But I actually hate this, even categorizing this. I was, uh, you know, spending some time with coaches when I when I hate you know I I I never want to hear um, a coach go like oh the one this gym pop on my gym I, I want to hear their name I hate that shit you know when when it's when it's like um, my gym pop client did a da, 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 da. what's their name what do you mean like what's their what's their fucking name you know this is people have human beings have names they have goals and like we should use their names I just I, I really 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 dislike that categorization too much. I get it, okay, if they're an athlete. But look, they got to go the same way. I mean, you know, they want to get stronger, they want to get faster, they want to be out of pain, they want to get more conditioned, whatever, right? Um, another person, Jenny, you know, she wants to pick up her kids. Okay, cool, but same thing. She wants to get stronger, she wants to get conditioned, she wants to, right, there's there's goals. I wanted to bring that up because if you do that and I find you doing it, I possibly will spar to kick you into the pit. Um, so you got to find, you know, where where's that, that person, that client starting from? Um, and... What's your vision for them? And I know this sounds weird because um, 
it's like, well, what are their goals? Sure. But like, you know, we'll talk about that. Like for sure. What are the goals? But what's the vision? You know, uh, and what I mean by that is I always talk about like, they, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, we have to believe in them before they believe in themselves. And, and that's where kind of the vision comes in um, as far as what you want to help, you know, help them achieve and like what would be ideal in your eyes. Not just in there, but but in your eyes. Um, and I put up this post the other day that I think is important to share here. Um, and I was reading something from Kevin Neal actually that, that made this pop up, and I was like, "Oh man, like this is this is how I thought like about at the beginning because I, I I didn't really have any marketing channels. I didn't like know much about you know that side of things. And I was like, man, I how do I grow the business? But like my mindset is going to be." You know, how would I coach this client if my entire career depended on their success? And that's pretty much what I did. Every client, you know, I started with one client, but then it's every person that was the next person. I was like, man, what if my entire career depended on the success of this person? And that's the approach that I took um, when I started training people. So, you know, that's what I think about when I it's kind of like, what's your vision for them? Um, you know, where do you want to take them in 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 their training and then what are the like what are the roadblocks and the obstacles in a way in the roadblocks maybe everything from you know um movement quality which is you know and that might be your goal for them first is like movement quality and uh like I'll give you an example like you know we were doing this I know it was a team training session uh but nonetheless a lot of times we'll get people in you know they don't they don't move that well so we'll you know so we'll slow down like we did a 313 goblet squat you know, where, where you're basically really just drilling the smoothness of the movement, right? So we'll, even into group training sessions, I'll insert, I would say exercises that, that clean up movement because I want them to move better. But to get back to the point, you know, when we talk about what are the goals for them, well, you might want to improve movement, qual- movement quality. Almost always, you know, I, I say breathing, but breathing is so important. Like where from a different number of standpoints, but like, you know, being able to drive air into certain areas um, does a lot of things because if we're in the right position, then we can do that. But also if somebody is just like, you know, a chest breather and they're just like, they don't, you know, they, they inhale, they're not, they can't really exhale. That's going to cause problems. I mean, they're going to be more sympathetic and more stressed out and um, it's going to be harder for them to recover. And, you know, a number of different other things. There's probably going to be a lot of tone in their body. It's going to be hard for them to release, right? So my, that might be a goal. Stress reduction, right? Like, how do we put together a training? Like, if somebody comes in, they're super stressed out. Because you have to be, like, no, your training, it's not, it's not just how much you train. It's how much you can recover from, right? So I can't tell, tell you how many different people uh, we would say uh, we see that probably need to train less than what they already are uh, or or they just they need to train more but more of that training should be recovery based training uh, and not just like you know crush 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 them into the ground and then you know you, you want to look at the goals like is the the main you know I say what's the primary goal uh, you know a lot of times people will state a lot of goals but what's the primary goal fat loss is it muscle gain is it you know improving just performance on the field um so, you know, you look at those goals and like those are kind of like I would say the three kind of main ones, right? Fat loss, muscle gain and um, improving as an athlete. So performance improvement in some way. But then you also want to look at like 
daily training goal. So Dax Moy was the first uh, person that kind of was like, man, there should be a goal for the day, for the training session. That like how you know that that person should leave like feeling accomplished in that session in itself. Forget about just the whole program. Um, and so you want to, um, you know, you want to know from the standpoint, I think I've shared with you guys my seven readiness questions, but like from the standpoint of um, what does the, the, the client want, you know, like, for instance, to them, you know, what's part of their goals, like training hard, right? They want to feel like they train hard and or they've, you know, they want to know that they're making progress. Uh, now, just listen to the sentence and the words that I'm saying here, okay? So uh, if they want to, you know, make progress, like that's one of their, like, g- goals within, within the training session, by the way, within the training session, okay? Or like, man, I want to train hard, or I want to be, you know, I want to feel tired and sore, and, or, or I want to, you know, I want to be challenged. Uh, like those are daily, they could, those could be daily training goals. And with those training goals, Think about this. I mean, most people might go like, well, our goal is not to make people sore. I get it. But imagine if a client is like, I want to, you know, like they do relate soreness to improvement. And of course, what are we going to do? Of course, we're going to educate them um, that that doesn't necessarily correlate. But is there anything wrong with, you know, throwing in a finisher that's going to make them sore a little bit? I don't think so. If that because the thing is, that's part of their daily training goal. Right. So. I want I want to pay, play devil's advocate here because uh, m- most people will be like very very no well, Luca you gotta you know be in integrity like man I'm 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 doing all everything in integrity but like I said understanding the client is such a big part of it like understanding their goals um, at like the big picture goals and on a smaller level right because if people come in and you meet their expectations in a sense that it was great. Like you did the thing, like you listened to them, right? Like, Hey, they're hearing me, you know, or if it's the making progress thing, thing where in a training session throughout that training session, you're showing them progress. They're moving better. They put up more weight, right? They, they ran a little bit faster in a test. You know, they did that, that or the other, right? Or they feel challenged, meaning like, man, that was a hard workout, right? Like, um, which is part of that training hard too. Like you challenge them to something. And the thing is the challenge could be, you know, something else. It could be a, you know, a single leg, uh, I would say, you know, the reverse lunge and a single leg balance at the top with knee flexion. And they could do it, but you're challenging them. It's a hard thing for them, right? And But remember, like you're, you're listening to what their goals are on a day-to-day basis. Um, I think you should always take three to five minutes to, you know, kind of, get the pulse, you know, uh, of, of the person where they're at. And some people like to just, you know, right away, go, go, like, go, 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 go. Uh, some people like to kind of share how their day was this, that, and the other, but that's a huge part of the art of coaching is being able to understand that and like tap into what the person, you know, I'll, I'll ask the question is like, Hey, what would like today, what would be a win for this training session for you? Right. What would be a win for this training session for you? And I've had people that go like, man, it's been a rough week. Like, you know, I just want to get all this negative energy out. Like, I just want to get after it. Right? I want to feel challenged today and train hard, Luca. All right, cool. We're going to do that. Right? And we're going to stick to the program. But, like, there's parts where I can now, like, challenge them a little bit more and push them a little bit harder than usual. Right? And remember, like, sometimes people are going to say different stuff. But to, to not pay attention to that, you know, which is kind of part of the intuitive training, like, you still have a plan. Um, but 
you you gotta you gotta make sure that you take that into account because you know who are you che- like you got to think about who you're checking boxes for when you write a program right it's there's there's this kind of like s- symbiosis between your wants and their needs right um your wants because like you want what's best for them so you're going to write the program to get them the result that they said that they wanted but then there's also their needs and that's the stuff that I just mentioned earlier um that maybe I would say um, that on a day-to-day basis matters, right? And their experience matters in that, I would say, uh, in that phase and in that program, okay? So that that's just a couple of, of uh, fine points. I'm not, you know, going to, there's a lot more of that, but we're not going to dig into that because I wanted to share um, like this R, the R7 template. And like why, why I loved it, and like I said, kudos to Mike uh, and Bill for creating this. And, and, you know, and they did it from a standpoint of, uh, I would say from a standpoint of making things more organized. And like the way I love to look at it is just like everything now I look through that lens and it's so customizable, right? There's so much stuff that you can do within this um, because it's and, it's, and it's not something rigid. So R7 just stands for different phases of the training, uh, the training session, right? Which with each one being easy it's also you know what's the other thing too it's pretty easy for the client to understand uh meaning like if if you do you know somebody's like hey what's the first phase well, well self-myofascial release you know and for most people it's like what the hell is that right and you go like well self-massage oh okay um i kind of get that i guess right but if, if r1 is release right and you know think of it first of all so the the, the r7 here, here are the seven different things that should be in a training program based on R7. It's like R1 is release, R2 is reset, R3 is readiness, R4 is reactive, R5 is res- resistance, R6 is resiliency, and R7 is recovery. And so don't, don't worry, I'm going to go all, through all of them. Um, but kind of like the, the thought process behind it too is that, you know, most people that come see us, even if they're higher level athletes, like they're, you know, they're coming in and they're like high strung. They're usually stressed out. They've been sitting in the car. They've been at work. They've been, you know, kind of, um, they're not necessarily in the most calm state uh, of all time. Put it this way, nine out of 10 is, is it's not happening. Um, and they're coming into the gym. So if you, if you were to go, you know, straight from that into even a quick warm up and then go, probably wouldn't be the smartest idea. So release, you know, the release part of it is releasing some of the tissues that, you know, are wound up. Now there's different, like I said, I'll, I'll actually go into, into the more specifics, but you're taking them on a journey, right? So release, you're starting slower. And from there you got resets, which might be breathing drills and some, you know, uh, I would say ground patterns. And then from there you go into readiness, right? So you're ramping this session up. So we start, uh, it's almost, think of it like a roller, co- uh, roller coaster at a, at a theme park, right? So imagine that chart, right? You start kind of slow, slowly building up, and then your reactive and resistance is like your peak, right? That's the hardest training is, is power stuff, you know, strength training stuff. And then slowly as you, you tire out more, you start to bring, bring it down and do your conditioning and then you do your recovery, right? So, and I always, always said that like, you know, your, your training session should be a roller coaster, meaning you don't want to go from start to finish just being like smashing people into the ground and, and, um, and constantly high intensity and go, 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 right? Has to be orchestrated and thought out. Um, but part of the process of like, when you do like, and you know, I guess my sell to you, it'll almost sound like I'm selling it for those guys, but I just, I do really believe in it. 
um, as, as far as being able to look at through that framework and even for our team to be able to go like, hey, did you run it through R7 framework? Okay, okay, break it down for me, right? It's, it's, it's a great template for if you have a business and if you have a team, um, but it's also great for clients to buy in because it's, it's simply explained, and if you understand um, the thought process behind it, which I'm going to share with you guys, it's so much easier to go to clients and go like, oh, well, listen, we're, you know, we're doing release and then we're doing reset. And they understand why they're doing it. So you're educating them about it. There's that buying like from the from your clients. You know what I mean? And it's it's a lot it's a lot easier to streamline programming. You know, if you have uh, a number of coaches, if you have another people, a bunch of people doing it, if you're doing it for yourself, it's a lot easier for you to, to do because um, you can write, you know, great programs and you can do it in, in a lot less time. And it's a lot easier to go through with the team looking at this stuff. So, you know, so I, I feel like there's so many different benefits to it. And like I said, it doesn't it doesn't restrict you in program design from a standpoint of which methodology you use uh, necessarily. You know what I mean? Um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of, I would say, room, wiggle room there. So, but, you know, going to like just to kind of break down the, the, uh, the seven, uh, I would say the seven uh, different R's, you know, number one's release. And really the goal there is just to reduce tension and stiffness and get people out of um, being wound up, you know. And, and, and like I said, if, if people are stressed out, shallow breathers, they're sitting a lot in a chair, so their hip flexors are going to be tight, right? Their upper back is going to be on it. Their pecs are going to be tight. Um, usually, most people are plantar flex, so their calves are going to be all stiff um, in their Achilles tendons and things like that. So we want to, like, how can we release as much of that as possible without spending a ton of time on it? And I'll, I'll kind of give some some hints on how long you should be spending on that stuff. Um, and the and rationale behind it is is also, you know, apart from decreasing, you know, kind of stiffness and stuff, like as soon as you like if you've ever done, you know, foam rolling or something a little more aggressive, like I'm a huge fan of body tempering now. So, I, you know, I, I, it's harder for me to do foam rolling um, because just body tempering. So works so much better for me. But either way, it doesn't matter what the tool is. Battlestar, the Accumobility balls, um, you know, battle, uh, I would say regular foam roller with spikes, this, that, the other, you know, um, uh, the, the ex-wife body tempering, whatever it may be. Right. It's the, the goal there is to decrease stiffness, but that in itself is usually going to improve mobility. Meaning if we did a test and retest of, I don't know, a toe touch, right? Which is like the, it's like, oh, well, what are my hammies like? But then, you know, you rolled out the hammies, you rolled out the quads, you rolled out your lats, you rolled out, you know, your calves and did a, a retest, you'll probably be able to, you know, be able to touch your toes or, or should I say go lower in that position, Right, so it's going to decrease the stiffness, but it's also going to improve your mobility, um, just just from that. And for many people, it's going to decrease pain. And for anybody that's had kind of like anterior knee pain, for instance, um, like two examples: anterior knee pain, right? And you and you kind of uh, release some of that TFL glute med that then goes down down the IT band TFL, um, and you roll out the quad. Most of the time, it's going to maybe sometimes disappear, but like definitely reduce the pain. Uh, same thing with shoulders, right? You'll have some, some cranky stuff going on in shoulders and you roll out the lats, you roll out the pec and pec minor, maybe subclavius there and super, uh, you know, infraspinatus, that whole posterior shoulder part. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, like that's, that feels better. I don't feel that pinch anymore, right? Cause you could just create more space and, and 
created a different position. So it, the rationale is decrease stiffness, decrease pain, and improve mobility. And, you know, the tools can be just about anything. I mean, now you have, like, we, you know, we have um, Hypervolt and Theraguns, and Tone made some made-at-home massage guns that are very effective, uh, just pretty damn loud, but but very effective. So we got a ton of tools. I mean, we have more tools than I can count uh, when it comes to, like, the soft tissue release and, and, and doing that. And like I said, you can use whatever tool you want, but the point of it is um, that that's what R1 does. And, and you know, you could go and do any any muscle group, right? But if if I could have, like... I, I guess maybe six, five, six, um, I, I would say five to seven different areas that I'd hit for sure. Uh, quads, certainly. Um, and like hips, you know, I say hip area is, is that, you know, kind of TFO, IT band, glute med uh, uh, area. And then pecs for sure. Lats, absolutely. Calves. Um, honestly, like, Upper back and, and and glutes would be uh, probably the six and seven there as well. Uh, even though, like I said, there's there's a ton of different and I would individualize this, but I would say like the six to seven that like everybody can uh, can do are the main ones. If I if I had to just go and get generic, those would be it would be uh, it'd be your quads, your hips, you'd be lats, your pecs, uh, be your calves. I'd be some uh, some glutes and uh, and upper back. Um, and you'd be pretty good there. Now, the thing is, we, and I used to do this too, like where I used to roll for like really, really long periods of time. Uh, we have to be conscious about people's training sessions, right? Like, look, if you're doing it yourself and you got a ton of time and you want to spend some more time, cool. But I think like about five minutes is, um, is, is a good thing to shoot for. So you're spending about 30, 40 seconds per muscle group maybe, uh, to one minute at the most. Um, especially like if you're doing lower body, you know, think about the things that are going to be get involved. Uh, if you know you're going to do a deadlift day, well, in that case, you're going to, you know, you're definitely going to roll quads, hips, lats, right? And maybe, you know, maybe calves there as well. Um, if you're going to do upper body, now you might go, you know, lats, pecs, and, uh, you know, upper back and uh, and that posterior shoulder, right? So you you look at what, what you're going to be working. If you're doing full body, like you just hit probably all of those. But, you know, 30, 60 seconds per group, uh, but, you know, not spending more than, like I said, five minutes uh, in, you know, doing something like that. But, you know, if you got a full, like here's here's the kicker. It, it, like if you got a foam roll everything, uh, I, I think you got to kind of look at what's going on there and and maybe look at your programming a, as, as a whole. Um, but like I say, you know, for some people, I, I would say certain people, you know, will kind of give them more leeway and actually at the beginning have them spend more time on it if they're if they're really beat up. Um I'm cool with then going from like, you know, seven, eight minutes, even 10, right? And if they have the time to train. Uh, but in general, like you're shooting for about five, okay? Now, R2, the R2 part is a reset. Now, there's two things that the reset does. Like one is basically, and, and what we'll talk about, like what are the different things in the reset like that that essentially uh, you can, you know, you can use and what is it, what is it doing? But the reset is like it'll improve the position of your joint. So it's just biomechanical. You can, you can let's just call it biomechanical position, right? Like we want to like if you're in the right position. I've I've said this before. If you're in the right position, right, then in that case, like you're going to be better prepared 
to be able to handle stress and uh, and load the joints. If you're out of position, right? Meaning, like imagine now if your rib cage is flared up and you you have a forward neck post, forward head posture, uh, and you got your Instagram butt like your interior pelvic tilt, um, and now I load you up. Like there's gonna be a lot of stress on the joints, not you know not enough on the muscles that we want, and uh, there's gonna be a lot of bad things going on. So we want to get to that biomechanical position, and the resets help with that. The second thing that it's going to do is improve autonomic balance, and that's what we talked about at the beginning. Like, hey, listen, uh, you know, if if I'm super, if I'm a, uh, I can't fully exhale uh, because I'm a chest breather, you know, I'm going to be high strung. So autonomically, my nervous system is not going to be balanced. It's going to be out of whack, right? I'm already starting in kind of like this high high strung position. Um, and so that's what we want to change. So we want to restore the position. And this is what I mentioned was like uh, balancing inhalation and exhalation. And the resets are also going to help mobility. Like I said, if I put if I put my body in the right position, certain things are going to turn off and certain things are going to turn on uh, because of because of position. So R1 and R2 like really, you know, um, I would say work closely together. But we're going to use everything, you know, what are, what are some tools that maybe, you know, we use as resets? Well, we'll use a Postural Restoration Institute uh, drills. Like, you guys can actually look it up. Uh, I've, I've done this before on, on video. I know Mike's done this before on video, but it's, it's called the bear. Uh, so the bear is just, it looks like a, you're in a crawl position, but then you drive your upper back away and kind of round it there. And from there, you're going to, Exhale fully and then inhale through your nose into that upper back area, right? Because most, like a lot of people, if they're 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 really kind of extended in that upper back and stiff, like this is going to help them get into a better neutral position, right? Because remember, you're going to be stiff there because if you can't drive air somewhere, that's going to be a problem. Um, the other one is going to be uh, a basically uh, having your feet up on a box or a chair. And driving your heels into that chair and then basically posteriorly tucking your pelvis and then doing the breathing drills the same way. I mean, and you can look this stuff up, but like, you know, these are some, some of these are Postural Restoration Institute drills. Uh, we'll do some DNS drills, meaning um, that, that's dynamic neuromuscular stabili- stabilization stuff. Um, but we'll use a lot of different things to get there. I mean, you know, say breathing patterns while we're crawling. Uh, some FS, SFMA stuff like rolling patterns. So there's there's a lot of different tools that you can use. Um, but really, like, same thing. You're not going to spend, like, a ton of time doing this. You know, maybe two to three sets of, i say, four to six breaths, you know, with a full exhalation and full inhalation. And the kind of the kicker here is to, to drive airflow where it's restricted. And the thing is... Um, you know, there's a couple of obviously there's there's uh, there's this um, there's a couple of I would say assessments that you can do to to test even infra infrasternal angle to determine what you know which of the drills you should do. Uh, and it's I hate like I said I went on a podcast I hate talking about certain things that I love showing. Uh, and actually, if you go onto the YouTube channels, me and Theo did a couple of, uh, of videos showing that. Like basically, if you have you know, wide infrasternal angle, you you do a certain drill, and if you have a narrow infrasternal angle, you do a certain drill, um, which it's it's just something that we can do with clients to give them the right drill for them. Um, but that's part of the kind of like the R two programming there, um, and we want to with those drills we drive airflow where it's restricted. You have, I mean, 
it's such an important part. I know, I know people don't talk enough about it, but like, you know, and it doesn't like, like I said, we're not spending like 10 minutes and 20 minutes on this stuff, but we're, we're going to spend like two to three minutes to, to get a reset and get some, like I said, put, put us back into the right position. And then we'll also use drills that, you know, um, I, I guess you could call them old school, but like things like, uh, the couch stretch, uh, you know, hip flexor stretch, couch stretch, and things like glute bridges or Spider-Man lunges. But we're going to use breathing to tie it all together, meaning like we might be in a Spider-Man lunge and, you know, we're going to push the ground away and then breathe into that upper back, right? So now we're combining we're combining some of that, um, I would say, old school kind of, and it's not really that old school. It's still, it's still very, very useful. Um, but we'll just tie in the breathing to make sure that we have uh, – like we have the powerful reset in, uh, and I think it's, it's just one of those things that is really, really, uh, valuable to have in your kind of toolbox, um, if for, for program design. And I, I think if you're not doing it, like you're just leaving a lot on the table with, you know, for yourself and your clients to be, um, to be able to, uh, as they have a better training session. So from there we go to readiness, you know, readiness is like, uh, You've heard a lot of names from it. Dynamic warm-ups, uh, ramp, which is, uh, you know, I, I think Alan Cosgrove uses the word ramp. Um, the, you know, the rationale here is to basically uh, prepare for an epic training session. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. And there's three things that that you want to do in a quality training session. I mean, number one is, you know, physiology. And it's like just the basic, you know, increase tissue temperature. Basically get warmed up, you know. Uh, core improve core temperature even old school stuff where it's like jump on a bike for 10 minutes i mean that's kind of what you did there i just think you know there's much better ways to do that now we know that there's there's much much better ways to do that and then from there it's improved joint lubrication because as soon as we start doing things like you know movement and mobility we're also improving joint lubrication right it's like we're wd 40 those joints before we get started um from the physiology part of it is also improving nerve, nerve conduction and kind of nervous, nervous system firing, right? We get the nervous system to start ramping up. And you, you know, like if you've ever done, which like I, I do still probably too much of when I'm getting a workout and I'm like, oh man, I'm short on time. All right, let's just go. And you you know, your first sets, it just feels slow, you know, like you just can't get the most out of it. But then maybe your fourth set, you know, as you're kind of ramping up, now, all of a sudden, like you're able to lift more weights, so you're able to move faster. Yeah, because it's like you fired up your nervous system. So the whole point of it is of, of that dynamic warm up, that readiness part is to get the nervous system firing. Right now, the second part. So we just talked about physiology. The second part of the warm up is like the biomechanically, right? Get, get ready biomechanically, which is improving, optimizing alignment. And, you know, we kind of like we kind of do that with our release and our our resets. But now we can ingrain it. So just think of that, that like, you know, okay, we, we got into a better position. Now let's ingrain this position um, and make it more solid. And so, you know, once, I don't know, your rib cage is down, certain uh, muscles are, you know, not toned anymore, not released uh, uh, and, and have released. Now we can do things such as, you know, our, for instance, like, well, we might do some cars from the FRC system, but then we might do squat the stands and Spider-Man lunge, like, you know, the greatest stretch in the world and single leg balance into, you know, lunge to instep and, um, and inchworms and right. All these different, I would say exercises that, 
uh, would fall under the dynamic warmups. But just remember that, like, you know, we, we, we start with isolated to integrated. So more single joint to multi-joint. You know, we go from low intensity to high intensity, uh, low, low, low range of motion, to high range of motion. And then we kind of integrate the nervous and muscular system. So towards the end, for me, it's always, you know, you're going to do more stuff that gets the CNS fired up. Your your kind of, uh, I would say, pogo jumps, your high knees, your your lateral hops and stuff like that. Um, and the, the third part of it is just specific, you know. And if, if you're playing a sport, obviously, it's going to be maybe specific to the sport you're going to go play. If it's training, um, you know, it's going to be specific to the loading, the ranges of motion, um, the speed and power stuff. So, you know, maybe if you're doing sprints, you're going to ramp up and do skips, right? You're going to do your, your skips, your A-ski, B-skip, high knees, maybe um, butt kicks, you know, stuff like that, right? If you're going to squat, well, maybe like part of the the, the warm-up is going to be, you know, a, a, I would say lighter goblet squat with a curl at the bottom, pry the hips open, Right, but we're already gonna do some of those uh, specific movements, if that makes sense. So, uh, you know, this is the one part that most people kind of understand, like the readiness part, like oh, that's dynamic warmups. Um, and so, it, you know, once again, important, but not to like you. You also don't want to make this, uh, you know, you, you don't want to make it too long either, you know, and. Uh, like I said, to kind of go, kind of go back and, and solidify this. You know, what are the things you'll be doing in, in our in, in a readiness phase? It's mobility drills. You know, low level cardio, um, build ups into specific lifts or movements for that. And uh, rem- remember, so five to eight exercises. Like this is not set in stone, by the way. Um, it's not set in stone, but five to eight is a pretty good one. Like you know. Once again, I've 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 experienced. I mean, I've done this myself too. Like where there's periods of time where I've been doing dynamic warmups for 15 to 20 minutes, um, and I I did feel great, but I was but it was like okay, this might be too long based on the amount of time I have. You know, especially when you look at the time, client's training session, you really got to think through the time const- constraints here. You know what I mean? Um, the other thing that like the why it's important to do this. So just just something that to really really keep in mind. Um, that the programming, you know, having like the, I would say the R3 programming is that, you know, you preferably want to tie this, all this stuff to like, you know, biomechanics and stuff. But here's the thing, 15 minutes, like research shows that 15 minutes, um, of, I say warmups, like for instance, increases neuroplasticity, meaning you're learning. So if you do a quality warmup before your training session, the stuff that you're going to do in your training session is going to get much more embedded because we've just increased the neuroplasticity of the brain. So, you know, if we have now a great, you know, we're, we're coaching up the squat pattern or the deadlift or something else, you're actually going to remember, I mean, should I say remember, it, that pattern's going to get more ingrained, right? So that's what's really, really important to, to know. And that's why, like, you know, if you're just doing a three to five minute warm up, you know, complete like R1, R2, R3, that might not be enough, right? And I do like extended warm ups for fat loss, like weight loss and deconditioning clients because, uh, for instance, this morning we were just doing our, our small group. So we start a small group on Saturday mornings. I, I run a small group personal training group. Uh, we'll have anywhere from 16, 20, sometimes even more, but like about 16 to 20 clients usually. Um, and we start at 7, um, and at 7.18 to 7.20 is when we're done with the warm-ups, right? So it's like around 18 to 20 minutes, and I pretty much follow this 
this protocol almost to the T. Um, and at the end, people are sweating, right? They're, they're sweating. Like the last, you know, I would say five, six minutes, like we're doing stuff. It's, it's, it's like that extended warm-up. Um, and all of these, like all of this stuff, you know, sets the stage for the entire workout. And, and it, it should be like, it should be a priority, right? Like um, I, I know that there, I've heard, well, at least I've heard, I've heard people say, well, you know, if you're short on time, you should just come, come in and knock it out. I, I don't think so. I think the warm up should always be there. You know, whether you cut down a warm up, cool, that's fine. Um, I have a couple of protocols where, you know, they'll be like six to eight minutes long and it's just these, you know, flows, but they're like with intention. It's not just sloppy. And, you know, if a person's short on time, like, okay, cool, we're going to put a timer on. Here's the stuff you're going to be doing. It's going to be this, this sequence of exercises and you're going to put the timer on and just go. Um, but beyond that, like I said, I, I don't think you should ever cut it out because it prepares you for the training session. Like I said, we also, I, I just mentioned like the science shows, you know, how like it increases neuroplasticity. So there's like this big win-win there as well. As well. Um, R4 now goes into reactive. So that thing that's like improving power and explosiveness, speed and agility, um, elasticity, reactivity. Um, but it's also having fun, right? Because you might be thinking, well, but if you have, I don't know, if you're listening to this and, and, you're, and you're like, well, I'm trying to, you know, lose body fat. Why should I even have, you know, reactive stuff in my program? And, and there's a number of reasons for it. And we'll, I'll touch base on that in, in, in a second. Um, but people have fun, you know, doing stuff like that, like throwing med balls with power, slamming med balls, you know, jumping, hopping, skipping. And like I said, depending on where they're at, like we've got 67 year old clients and they're still doing power stuff. It might just look different, you know, where they might not be doing a sprint, but they'll be doing some foot fire or they'll still be doing some, you know, some rotational throws into the wall or slams into the wall. Like just different expressions of power uh, and explosiveness. But what we're going to do it, we're going to put it into everybody's program. Uh, and people do love that stuff. Like they, they love feeling I don't I don't care what you think. You know, they love feeling like athletes. And, you know, I, off the top of my head, I know we have a client, you know, Susan, who's. Uh, I think turning 74 and Lori Lucas 66 and like they love doing that stuff. Right. And and remember that power is the first thing we lose. It's not strength. Power is the first thing we lose as we age. And it's the stuff that we need to do things like catch ourselves. Like, you know, when you trip and you fall like to where you can react and catch yourself like it's real life shit that everybody needs. Not to mention that when we do that, you know, with power and explosiveness work, what do we do? We recruit a, a, a very high threshold high threshold motor units, right? Like the two ways that you can engage the most, uh, I would say, muscular units is either lifting really heavy weight close to your max or it's lifting with the most speed or jumping or, you know, throwing or uh, really expressing yourself explosively. So there's a lot of benefits that there. And and we know like, hey, athletes need power. It might be one of the most important things. Um, and I think it's just been for a long time in programs, it just hasn't had that much merit and i i think that's that's wrong but but everybody needs it right no no matter who it is they need it and it just it makes training uh more fun now to to look at like um if you've ever heard of like the neural metabolic continuum so imagine there's a line on a on far on the left side like everything is the most neural right so it's that's speed strength power and kind of like the uh let's just put the bullet points i guess of, of that underneath it it's fewer reps and sets. It's less total volume. It, and it's it intensive. It's very intensive versus extensive. 
and there's longer rest periods, right? It's very neurally demanding. So if you do, you know, a, a sprint, for instance, like very neurally demanding, right? Even if it's, uh, I don't know, if it's like a six-yard sprint, like it's going to take you a long time to recover fully from that. And we know that the nervous system takes five to ten times longer to recover than the muscular system, right? So that, that's the neural side of it. Same thing, super heavy lift. Imagine doing like a one rep, you know, one rep max deadlift, right? It's only going to take you maybe, you know, three to five seconds, you know, maybe a little bit more. But, man, you're going to be zapped, right, neurally. You're going to feel like a mop maybe sometimes. Now, on the other end of the spectrum is metabolic, right? So that's your fat loss muscle building. More reps, um, sorry, more reps per set. So where neural is fewer reps per set, here's more reps per set. There's, inc- there's increased total volume, but there's also increased time under tension. So the, mi- the amount of time that we're under tension goes up and decreased rest periods. You know, obviously, like if you lift a heavy, if you're doing like three sets of three, you know, you're going to have a four to five minute break after that set of three because it's so heavy. If we're doing, you know, muscle building type stuff, you know, our rest might be 60 seconds, you know, then maybe 90 seconds, right? But if we're doing fat loss training, hey, it might be 30 to 45 and it'd be more in the circuit as well, right? So just thinking about that like neuro-metabolic continuum, like R4 reactive stuff is on that neural, is high up on that neural, um, I would say continuum, right? And, you know, just thinking about like what would fall, like what are some, all, what are some of the things that would fall in line? What exercises would fall in line with that R4 uh, reactive? Well, anything speed related so if it's accelerations and like we do this actually in small groups uh, as part of our our warm should i say at the end of the warm up right so we're doing all all the different all, all the different mobility drills we're doing uh and then from there we go we're going to go into some movement stuff like i said jump skips on and then from there we might go into like uh you know push up acceleration and it's just they're they're in a push up position you know i clap they react and it'll sprint out 10 to 15 yards and then start slowing down right um, so speed, acceleration drills, agility, quickness, uh, med ball throws, any type of jumps and plyos, those all fall, fall into the reactive category, but you know, it doesn't have to be jumping and sprinting. So for instance, uh, like I said, to keep things safer for, for certain clients, uh, it might be kettlebell swings. Uh, we talked about med ball throws, you know, from, it could be scoop toss into the air. It might be uh, you know, throwing in th- reactively into the wall, slamming into the ground, so on and so forth. And then prowler pushes, right? Because now they can still, you know, sprint really fast and create a lot of force and power, but it's not, there's not as big, uh, I would say, uh, forces and loads that if you were sprinting. Uh, and if, you know, if you're breaking down, uh, if you're breaking, I guess if, if you have an athlete, uh, I do like the idea of breaking stuff down into different days and different categories. So, for instance, um, you know, linear and lateral speed. So, I don't know if you got an athlete that's got a four-day, a week split, and we're doing you know reactive stuff, and then one day is linear speed, another one is lateral speed, and then it's linear change of direction another day, and it's lateral change of direction another day. So we put them in boxes and and kind of um, I would say keep those days separated. Uh, and that way we can just work on that specific kind of uh, thing. And, uh, you know, any, I mean, honestly, anything, anything fast and explosive can fall in line um, in, into that R4, right? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be sprinting or jumping. 
and I'm actually, you know, kind of hold back on the sprinting with with groups and general population stuff. Like I really want to make sure I get people ready to be able to do that. And if we do, we do more shorter stuff, more accelerated stuff. Um, and you can also do it doesn't you know it, it kind of like minimal decelerations and landings as well. So you know you could do box jumps, uh, you know single single med ball throws. Like all of those things are expressions of power, right? And and as you see that person can do it and like handle those loads, then you can progress it. So just being smart with it. The reason I say this is because you might hear like box jump, you know, and it, we know examples of what not to do, which is like, you know, super high rep box jumps in circuits. And you, that's how you get, you get people like, you know, injuring themselves. So you want to be smart with progressing it. But you know, simple format, like one to three exercises. Um, you could do it, like, for instance, for somebody that's, that's uh, I don't know, getting that. That's a, give you an example. Okay, somebody that's wanting to build either a bunch of muscle or their fat loss client, you might, you could do it in circuit style, right, where you do a box jump and, and then you don't, like, do it in circuit style to get tired, right? It's a box jump. You have a, you go to another drill and you do a, a med ball wall throw, right? Um and then maybe a low hurdle hop or something like that, right? So there, you could do it a lot of different ways and still integrate this for general population. Um, and, and like I said, that's perfectly fine, whereas like at the end of the, at the warm-up, you put it into a mini circuit, one or two exercises, one upper, one lower, um, and that will be part of their, their activity, right? But the, the kicker is, is that you're preparing the tissues. You know, one of the biggest mistakes that you'll see um, I, I've seen it in many, many programs and in group training programs. And, you know, we'll talk about this with the coaches sometimes. It's like, hey, you know, be careful about putting things like sprint work in because most people just haven't prepared their tissues for that. We know like sprinting is the highest force in sport. Like you could deadlift as heavy as you want to. It's not going to be uh, equivalent to the forces that you have in sprinting, which is why, you know, if you listen to guys like, you know, Derek Hansen, who was one of the top you know, sprint coaches, you talk to Lee, you know, you listen to Lee Taft, um, uh, you know, talking about the how to prepare people, you know, and imagine like you haven't done any sprinting for a long time, but like, yeah, but I, well, I lift weights, you know, I lift heavy and I lift often and so on and so forth. And they'll go out and do a lot of volume fast, um, especially like, you know, ripping straight into like, you know, 60s plus, whereas where you start getting really upright and the stress on the hamstring is huge. And you're starting to get all these hamstring injuries and tears and you're surprised. Well, because the tissues weren't prepared for it. So just a kind of a word of caution for, uh, you know, group training programs. If you're putting in a bunch of sprints um, with deconditioned people that have not done sprinting for a long time, like you want to make sure that you really progress that in the right manner, uh, because that's very, very, very crucial. Because the last thing I would want you to do and see is, you know, people getting hurt doing things that, could have been programmed smarter and you know like i say this from experience because like we've made that dumb mistake in the past too so you know I'm, we're we're learning from mistakes and and um doing that because it's like you may be like this is cool and people love it but if you get a class of 20 all it takes for one person to tweak something and like i i you know i have a sour taste in my mouth for a week you know so so be be you know common sense be cognizant like safety safety before coolness um and it can be cool and it can be safe and cool all right so that was that was our four so hopefully that gives you a little bit of more insight um once i go over 
that program building actually you guys you guys will see a, a, a little bit more of of where and how this fits in and how you could do it in different ways but so then there's r5 resistance i mean that's like kind of the if you think about it it's like the main thing that you were right off the bat you're like oh yeah we lift weights right so we get stronger uh you you know we honestly like part of it is too is you know cementing movement quality meaning i was just saying earlier about how today we had like in in our density uh, uh team training which is our, our large group training you know one of the stations was a kettlebell goblet squat 313 so three seconds down one second pause three seconds up no pause at the top so we just groove that pattern right but cementing movement quality right but and also we improve tissue resilience tissue resiliency here too right? i mean that's part of what strength training is so that's that's our five i mean it's our main thing is where you know we're either gonna you know get stronger we're gonna build muscle or or if it's a fat loss program we're gonna work on you know, maintaining slash building muscle and shedding body fat. Yes, you can do both at the same time, um, especially more as a beginner. It gets harder as as you improve with that. Um, you can increase tissue resilience, of course, improving mineral and bone density, which, you know, for a lot of like, you know, we, we train quite a few, I would say, older clients. Um, I say older because I don't want to say old because you're as old as uh, you believe and also depending on how trained your body is. But that's a big thing. Like, you know, we train a couple of doctors and they're like, yeah, that's a huge thing, like improving uh, bone density for for people that start getting older because they start seeing a lot of issues and strength training helps with that. Um, and, you know, of course, what I love to say is like, why do we, why do I train? Well, because I fucking want to be harder to kill. And that I think is a very, very um, good reason in and of itself. So, you know, back to kind of like, I'm, I'm not going to beat this to, to death, but just remembering what I mentioned earlier, so like that neural, the neural metabolic continuum, right? Where, where the more to the left side you go, it is speed, strength, power, and the more to the right side you go is fat loss, muscle building, right? Fewer reps um, per set, less total volume, intensive versus, versus extensive, longer rest periods, like that, all of that stuff is neural, right? Metabolic is more reps per set, increased total volume, increased time, time of attention, decreased rest periods. Um, and I hope, you know, that we're, we're, we're really clear on what, what a rep and a set is. I think we're, we're good there. Um, but one of the things, actually, this is what I learned from Joel. And not like, it's, it's, I guess it wasn't, I, I understood it because I studied it. But you never, you forget about this, though, too, that um, it, like, the amount of time under tension and, and the way that you train also affects your energy system, right? Because if, if I say energy system, most people think conditioning. And, you know, you're like, oh, well, okay. And, and like I said, I, I think there's way too little understanding of conditioning. And we're not going to touch on conditioning today, but um, not at least not. We're not going to dive deep, too, much, too deep into it. But, you know, if you only do one rep per set, so like a hard squat you know and it takes you two to three seconds to go down and you know maybe two to three seconds to go up it takes you you know five to six seconds to do you're training in atp cp system right so that's like i said that i would say uh anaerobic alactic right so oh, less than 10 seconds just like you know sprints less than 10 seconds right like super intensive we're using um creatine we're using atp like uh and so that's an energy system. Yeah, we're lifting weights, but that's an energy system. And we, and we have to think about that. But then once you get like eight plus reps, I mean, now we're in the lactic system, right? Especially once we start, um, now it's the glycolytic, right? 
but the reason why I say that is because it shifts the pathway in which, which we produce energy. And we don't think about strength training about that, right? We don't think about strength training about like, oh, this is actually energy system training as well. And one of the things that I realized is that, you know, my aerobic conditioning, besides training tons of basketball, and I, you know, I spent 15, 20 years training at a super high level of basketball, um, is like my training session used to be super long, like because I was just a little obsessive about training and whatnot. But because the training session was so long, I was actually working the aerobic system as well um, and, and improved that. So, but just understanding that like your training session affects your energy systems. Um, a quick thing, like what, you know, tracking your total volume, I think, is an important, important thing, which is just your, it's basically your sets times your reps times your load. I mean, it's simple, but I promise you that like you do a lot better just knowing what your total volume is and maybe being able to look at it. Um, look at it a lot, right? So if, you know, now, but here, here's the kicker, right? Not all volume is the same because, you know, is it the same, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm just lifting at 50% low and I do a ton of volume? No, it's not, right? So example, if I do three sets of 10 at 70% of your maximum intensity, and I don't know, let's say that that's, you know, 210 pounds, your total volume is going to be 6,300 pounds. If I do three sets of five reps now, but that's 82 0.5% of your max intensity, and that might be 250 pounds if you're doing a back squat, for instance. That's 3,750 uh, pounds of total volume. And then three sets of three at 90% at 270 pounds, that's 2,430 uh, pounds of volume. Now, does that mean that your three sets at 10 because you did more volume is going to be more effective? Right? Not all volume is is. Uh, is the same so you can't just think in terms of load start thinking about things in terms of intensity as well it because because of course like intensity determines things differently like if you want to improve strength right we're going to lift in that three to six rep range or one to six rep range i i don't do much you know one one and two rep stuff uh, anymore it's more like three three and up um but remember that there's all there's different ways to grade intensity as well so I, pretty much intensity as a percentage of one rep max. We kind of all know that, right? Like, hey, this is 60% of your one rep max. Your one rep max is like 400 pounds. Okay, that means that 60% is 240. So the higher you get, you know, once you get past the, you know, uh, I would say the 85%, especially over 90% mark, you know, those are really high intensities and take much more out of you neurally, right? Like we talked about that neural and metabolic continuum. Like neurally, it takes a lot more out of you. But then there's also the rate of perceived exertion, right? Which is your RPE, um, which is just like, hey, how hard was it on a on a scale of one to ten? Um, and you know, ten being like, I don't know, if we're doing reps, okay, ten being you can't get one more rep out, like you did your last good rep, like that's your ten. You know, your nine is like, man, I could have maybe got one more, like I'd 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 have to push the shit out of it, but like I maybe could have got one more. You know, your your eight out of ten is like, you know, I could have maybe got two more out of it, right? Um, anything under six out of ten is irrelevant; doesn't even count. But, um, but just so you know, there's different ways to grade intensity. You have your percentages of one rep max. Now, here's the thing about your percentage of one rep max, right? I actually got to bring this up. Um, I think uh, I could be a little bit off here, but it, I think it was the, the studies show that. Your one rep max, like, and it, this was done over a course of months, I think, but it was like 18% plus minus. On different days, you know, one rep max could have changed as much as 18% up or 18% down. So let's take a 400 pound deadlift, for instance, 
right? It could have been, that, remember, 18% higher means it could have been as high as 480 pounds or as low as 320 pounds. Think about that. Like, that's crazy. And this is the reason why I don't like to do, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, or any honestly right now, uh, percentage of max, F, like max lift work, right? Because because it could be so off. Uh, we kind of have a different system. I'll kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, so let's say, you know, let's say that we're going to do for our, you know, main strength leg is going to be trap bar deadlift and it's going to be four sets of four. So what we do on a specific day is like you'd keep ramping up sets and you'd get to a top set of, of four. So I'll uh, give you an example. Let's say you worked up and your heaviest set that day that you felt good with, you know, while you could still keep good form, but they were really, but they were hard was, you know, maybe, so basically it was a nine, it was a, a nine on the RP scale. So it was nine out of 10 on the rate of perceived exertion. Like maybe you can get one more rep, but, but it, it wouldn't be a nice rep. Um, and so you got up to 400 pounds for four reps. Okay. So that would be your best for that day. And the way you worked up to it, you know, uh, you did a bunch of warm-up sets and then, you know, you did 315 and then you did 365 and then you did 385 and then you did 405, right? Well, anything that was over 90% of your best set for that day would count, right? So 365 is more than 90% of 405 or is right about there, right? 385 is more than that. And then 405, of course, is like your top. So now you got four, you got three sets of four over 90%. So that means you need one more set. So maybe you knock out another set of four with, at 405. If it seems too heavy, maybe you go 395 for four. Does that make sense? I said you can't answer me, but like, but you can answer me. Here's, here's the thing. Theo said yes. So I'll, I'll just take that like for every. The thousands of people that are listening, that, that's a yes. <laughs> but, you know, but, but that's the, 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 you see how, like, you see how this works for the day? Because that day you were able to get 400, 405 for four, right? But then next week, because you might be able to get 425 and then anything over 90% of that counts. Um, I, I think I learned that from Eric, from Eric Cressy and I, I love that system. So we've been using it for like a decade now and plus, you know. Uh, because the thing is now we work off that daily effort because here's the, here's the thing like you know maybe that uh, the, the 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 previous week you know you were super fresh and you know you were you got a lot of sleep and everything was on point bam like you hit like a really good really good um you know you hit 440 right but then a couple of weeks later man like you got only got three four hours of sleep because you had to finish this project you know kids are waking you up whatever else maybe um and now like you're just not in as good of a place and so now like your max that day for four is 380 and that's okay like we just go off of that like what's that what's the four for the day because we know that life happens we know that there's even like i said for athletes there's going to be a lot of i would say competing things going on like you know game and you play two overtimes and whatever man like there's so many different things that we we are prepped for and i just I, and i just mentioned that like that different days, people, like I said, plus minus 18% on, on the max. I mean, that's huge, right? So I just don't think that, like, you know, when you have the charts and it's like, oh, well, you're going to do this, 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 this. 
people get frustrated a lot. You know, that's why I've, I've seen so many people work percentages and some people and some days they smoke them. Right. It feels great. And in some some days they can't even get that number. Right. It's like, oh, man, I can't get this number like I'm off, like something's off, like I'm not progressing. And that's not the, the deal. OK. So, like I said, I told you guys I'd veer off a little bit and, and, and give you some of what we're doing and so what makes what makes sense to, uh, to me. And the, so the third way of grading intensity is velocity based training like VBT. So, um, you know, and those are things like, you know, if you have, you have if you have a tendo unit uh, and if you're doing speed work, meaning like let's say we're doing power work. Uh, now, everybody doesn't have a tendo unit. And so sometimes we just go off of kind of like, you know, I've, I've obviously you know, just trained. I don't know how many sessions more than I can ever count. Um, and I can see stuff, you know, slowing down or whatnot, but, but in general, tendo units or anything like now, actually now you have, you know, you have the push app and, and the push monitor. There's, there's cheaper alternatives where you can, um, measure the speed of the bar, right? So, so imagine that you're doing, um, you know, dynamic effort work and you're doing, you know, speed bench, speed squats, speed deadlifts with bands, whatever it may be, uh, or anything else cleans, you know, um, you know, Olympic derivatives, and you're looking at the speed of the bar and, you know, as you're fresh, you know, the speed is high. And instead of saying, you know, this many sets of, you know, let's say you got sets of three to five. Instead of saying six sets of three, you know, you just terminate the set once you cannot keep 90 percent of that speed. Right. Um, so that's it. That's another way to do it. But those are the three ways of grading intensity. Right. Percentage of one rep max uh, rate of perceived exertion uh, velocity based training. Um, and in general, like, you know, in general, like I said, there's no golden rule, please. Like, but in general, you know, if the intensity goes up, the volume is going to go down. And, you know, and if you guys go back to the perlepin charts and, you know, which still still is a really good kind of marker for, um, you know, that that total 24, uh, you know, 24 reps per set type of thing. But if you're going to do like super high intensity and do like, you know, sets of three reps or two or three reps, you know, you're not going to do, your volume is going to have to go down. You can't keep the same amount of volume because it'll smash you. And so just some of my, um, I, I would say, favorite rep schemes. But I mean, you know, this, this it's always tough for me to say. I'm trying to give you guys some general guidelines. But, you know, for, for body composition, fat loss training, you know, two to four sets of eight to 15-ish reps, you know, is, is, is good. Now, remember, I like I like to have uh, actually there's a video I shot that should be up on YouTube by now uh, breaking down the training session where, you know, I like to do with most people for body composition training, break down the session into, you know, a strength movement. And then there's a supplement strength slash hypertrophy movement. Then there's a metabolic exercise. And then we're going to do usually a a stretch load exercise and maybe a, a postural finisher or something like that and in conditioning. So, you know, not, but, but, in, but if, you know, if I was doing some type of undulating training, which I talked about in the, in the last podcast on program design, you know, my favorite kind of rep scheme for fat loss would be somewhere between eight to 15 reps and two to four sets uh, for general strength and power production, you know, four to six sets to uh, four to six reps and high end strength power work, like two to four sets of three to five reps. Once again, not set in stone um, because there's all like that's the other thing that I got actually. Uh, and uh, the, the the questions I got from from um, the past podcast was, 
you know, what about, and then like people would say, you know, mountain dog protocol. What about Russian, you know, Russian squat routines? And, um, you know, what about like GVT, you know, which is German volume training? Or what about like this routine that has this many arm days in it? Or, you know, what about high intensity? Like uh, there's there's uh, protocols with circuits, meaning like where you do a heavy bench, uh, a heavy squat, and a heavy de- RDL, for instance, with pretty short breaks, but like high loads, you know, high intensity. And look, all of those things have a place, right? Like that's why with program design, it's um, it's one of those things where it, it's a it depends, you know, like does this fit in? But Dan John, Dan John was the person I think that said, you know, it, it, it's like what's the best program? I think it was like what's the pro- best program, right? It's like well, the one you haven't done yet, but you know, everything works, but nothing works forever, you know. And and I think that's what you should take into account where. You know, these these templates, like I guess these structures that um, we're talking about, they really like you could work off of these for almost for forever. And then, you know, you can plug in things like, you know, a, a German volume training 10 times 10 program like here and there, you know, like once in a while. Like I'm not I'm not saying that none of that stuff works. Uh, it's just like what if you had to have a structure and a lens to look through programming for forever and make it work for your clients and your business and like tell it like this is it you know um and it like i said it has a lot of variability too um uh, a couple of words on on time under tension which pretty much is like the time it takes you to complete a rep of an exercise um and you know essentially like when you increase the the time under tension you manipulate the stretch shortening cycle which basically increases or decreases muscular recruitment. And you, I mean, it's, you know, does it matter? Some people would say that it doesn't matter. It, it does matter. I mean, shit, do a set of, you know, do a set of eight and just don't worry about your reps uh, and then do a set of eight and control it down for three seconds, pause it for a second, uh, and, you know, and take one to two seconds to come up and, and, and tell me how it doesn't matter, right? I mean, obviously more time and attention and more muscular recruitment in that, uh, in that time. Um, and you know when it comes to out like if you if if you haven't read uh, uh triphasic training by Cal Dietz, it's definitely something that you should do uh even though you know this might be more relevant to performance but i but i think it it um it matters either way so you know he talks about the v you know like if you want to be the most kind of uh explosive athlete you know uh you want to have a narrow v right so quick deceleration quick acceleration right if you have a wider V, uh, you know that's not good. But you, but in a wider V, it just means that we can train. That, like, imagine that like basically the V is like one line is your eccentric, so it's your negative part, and then the other line is the concentric, right? So most people just don't pay attention to to that type of training. But you know w- we do a lot of this. I mean, in our small groups, in our programming, where we'll control the slow eccentric like we'll do three seconds i mean maybe even five seconds we've done even more but like most most of the time it'll be like you know three to five seconds three to eight seconds i think is a good kind of like you know over eight and over ten i think it started uh this the research shows that there's not much more benefit to it but three to eight um lowering phase and then you know if you want to do a longer amortization phase i think I think isometrics are crazy powerful. Um, I mean, we we did them today in, in our in our next three week block of small group programming, 
we have a, a bunch of isometrics in there because it helps people, first of all, work on their weak links. Um, like I said, it, it helps them like with the amortization phase. Like when you obviously, um, when you decelerate, there's an isometric before you accelerate, right? And um, there's a smaller short stretch like cycling, uh, cycling contribution. So the muscles have to work more there. And, uh, you know, tempo-based lifting, like I said, just helps clean up patterns. So we have more time and attention. We can, we can work on weak links. Um, we can work on tendon strength. These centrics are great for improving tendon strength. They improve, they improve um, uh, strength as well. So we're building muscle, we're building strength, we're building tendon strength. Um, and it can improve our weak links. Like I said, most people, you know, if they go down into a squat, they have a hard time holding certain positions. Cool, we're going to train that and get them stronger there. We're going to slow the tempo down. We're going to clean up that pattern. So just tons of good stuff that happens. But like I said, if you just want to, you know, you could Google Caldeets triphasic training, the V, and they'll pop up for you. Um, because, you know, if, if we train the eccentric and concentric and isometric, it'll help us actually become more explosive because we'll be able to decelerate faster on that eccentric, have a short amortization phase, right, that isometric, and then punch out of it. Uh, and then that's when we have a bigger kind of stretch shortening cycle contribution, right? Um, and so basically for athletes, it's, it's great, right? Um, but even, but like I said, for, for I would say clients looking to build muscle and or for fat loss is fantastic too. And w- remember, we kept talking about movement quality. I think it's a great tool to use to improve movement quality. Hey, like I said, hey, ne- next training session, maybe even in your warmups or part of a phase, like have somebody go and do a goblet squat, double kettle squat, three seconds down, two second pause, three seconds up, not lock out and see how much it's challenging, but it'll clean up their squat. Um, you know, the, the, it's, it's really simple, guys. Like there's a, usually if you're using tempos, it's a three number uh, kind of sequence. The first number is the eccentric. It's the lowering phase. The second number is your pause at midpoint of the rep. And then the third number is your concentric and overcoming phase. Um, so, for instance, let's use an example of, you know, the meathead exercise of uh, the bench press, right? So I'm going to go down. Like if it's three, one, one, or it's going to be three seconds down, one second pause, one second up. Um, you know, if it was if it was five, zero, X, it would be, Five seconds down, no pause, explosive up. X means as, as fast as you can. Um, there's a couple of exercises that you want to be careful with this on with like chin-ups and pull-ups, right? Because the chin-up, you actually start on a concentric phase. But it doesn't matter. It goes the same. It, it, it's the same thing. Always, you know, the concentric phase might, you know, in, in, a, in a case of the chin-up or pull-up, it would be, you know, a second up, pause at the top for a second, and then three seconds down. You still, even though... It, the exercise starts somewhere else, you still are using the same uh, thought process, concentric, eccentric, and, and isometric, right? Uh, the step-up is the same way. Step-up starts with the concentric, right? Not the eccentric. Um, so just keep that in mind, uh, little stuff, little stuff. Uh, and just, okay, some, some of my, I would say, some temples that we use. I'm not going to say my favorites because there's actually a lot of different stuff. Um, and... Uh, so one like for instance, we did a phase. So isom just straight up isometrics for longer periods of time. Like we we did we did a a, a phase of uh, doing safety squat bar isometric holds, and we started at 25 seconds, and we just added five seconds per week. So when you know week one was 25 seconds, week two was uh, 30 seconds, week three was 35 seconds. Uh, I think that was just a three week phase. 
but isometrics like straight up isos that holds you are uh, it's great for tendon health it's great for rate of force development it's great for uh and i love it for positional control that's where i love 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 like isometrics like especially long ones too um uh Two, like 202 or 303. So that's about six seconds uh, time under tension. It's the ones that we were doing today. They're great for tempo. They're great for like in, in, in uh, ingraining a movement pattern and oxidative work, right? Like remember, like if you do stuff like that, there's no oxygen that comes in the muscle. It actually, uh, like I said, trains energy system as well. If you, if you, uh, if you go and uh, look up uh, in, in MMA conditioning, which is Joel Jameson's book about conditioning, it's really not about MMA conditioning. It's just the best conditioning book out there. And Joel's course, which everybody should do, um, the Bioforce Conditioning Certification course, uh, you know, it, it talks about this stuff. And these are some of the methods of actually, you know, um, building that, I would say, the capacity of those muscles to be able to go for longer periods of time under load, which is, which is a great emphasis uh, another one is a uh, three zero one, so that's just an eccentric emphasis, uh, less less stretch short, shortening cycle, right? Because you don't you don't drop down fast, you don't have as much of that stretch shortening cycle. So you three seconds down, no pause, and just a normal one rep to come up. That's four seconds. Two zero one is usually a general lifting tempo. Um, you know, meaning like I like to have a controlled. If I say controlled down, that should take you about two seconds, right? No pause and explosive up. Two one two one one is momentum control. Uh, I love like if I see somebody being sloppy, instantly I'm pa- I'm throwing in a pause uh, on a on a dumbbell bench, on a lunge, on a uh, spe- like rowing variations are huge for this. And um, if if you uh, I think I heard Mike Robertson say like mention this, but that you know um, Dorian I think it was Dorian Yates talking about like how he got his back so swole, and it was that that he would always do pauses at the top. And I love like T-bar rows, one-arm dumbbell rows. You know, you're going to have to drop the weight. But uh, but guess what? Like doing like two, three-second pauses or at least one-second pauses, it cleans up the reps. But it also um, it builds more time under tension because most people are just, uh, I, I don't know, like if you're doing a row, it's like they're starting a lawnmower, right? Like they're never, ever actually getting that full range of motion. And remember, we're training. Like me and Jay were talking about this when, when we're in Miami. Like you – Sometimes if I'm training the lats, you know, uh, remember there's a big difference between uh, like full range of motion for the muscle versus the joint. And a lot of people sometimes will like take the joint through the full range of uh, motion, but not the muscle. Like and and you can what, what I mean by that is like with with to get the maximum lat recruitment on a row, you actually have to stop sooner than you think, because once you go beyond that. Now, all of a sudden, the lat's actually taken out of it. So this is kind of like the, you know, man, I, I, I was, you know, when I was younger, I was big into bodybuilding training. And I think bodybuilding training is still like re- the, the right one is really joint friendly. And, and it's smart to do supplemental work. work. And it, it, I think there's a big, big um, plus and bonus in, in doing that and studying that. Like the mind-muscle connection, like all that, you know, that, that works. You know what I mean? Like you know, squeezing imaginary things and thinking about the tension in, in, in your muscles, like that, that stuff is real. Um, I know I veered off a little bit, but I, I thought that like, you know, doing that pause controls momentum. And I love that. Um, you know, uh, st- you know, stability and control at midpoint, like longer pauses, 
Uh, these these are the, the things that I you know I do like a three 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 honestly or like a three three one you know three seconds down three second pause, and then just a normal up and it'll take you ten seconds to do one rep. Um, like I said, that's where like we're working on stability, uh, really controlling and owning you know I would say these midpoint positions. So think parallel a little bit low parallel for the squat position. Um, same thing, like, you know, that that weak point in the bench, like still keeping that upper back nice and tight and, and, and being two inches off the chest. Uh, you know, I would say pull up at the top, you know, of just examples, you know, just examples. And you break up the stretch shortening cycle. Right. So you don't you don't get that elasticity. Um, then if, if I say dynamic, you know, that's one or two seconds. That's just being athletic in a movement and explosive is being as explosive and powerful as you possibly can. Um and on top of that, like I know we're diving a little bit deep here, but I do want like I do want you to think about like the strategies that you can use for, you know, programming, man, like you can do so many different variables and like progress it in so many different ways. And I, I think most people just think about exercises so much. Right. I mean, there's so many exercise, only so many exercises, but also, you know, it's, it's crazy that um, it's like, oh, man, we got to keep switching up the exercises. And, and it's like, man, like there's. Like you could switch up rep ranges, you know, first, um, but then from there, time under tension, uh, uh, rest periods, which we're moving into right now. And then that's just the rest, the, the, the amount of rest between sets. And uh, just like sets and reps, you need total work time and total rest time to give you an idea that, uh, of the training effect, right? So, for example, um, if you know your goal is fat loss, your work period is going to be somewhere between thirty to sixty seconds, right? So uh, we're, we're kind of training tissue tolerance and, and and resiliency, and your rest period is going to be zero to sixty seconds. Now, why would I say zero to sixty seconds? Well, because if we do, you know, like uh, triceps and it's like uh, things back to back, and we want to get that metabolic effect, maybe you know, especially if somebody's that might not be a beginner, right? But but somebody that's intermediate there, we might be able to do that. But even if we give like 30 second breaks, right? So imagine, I don't know, I'm going to give you a, a just a random, you know, like a random kind of example. But um, we do a, a double kettlebell squat uh, and a dumbbell, bend, uh, sorry, a T-bar row. So double kettlebell squat with a and T-bar row. And the third exercise might be like a stir to pot, right? On, on a Swiss ball for core. So we got a squat, we got a uh, we got a pull, and then we got a, a core, right? And there's only a 30 second break in between. And so let's say you're doing, um, you know, 50 to 60 seconds of work. So that might be a 10 reps at a 311, right? Tempo. Man, that's hard. Like that's hella hard. Like do that. Do 10 reps with the double kettlebell squat, three seconds down, one second pause, one second up. Then only have 30 second break. And do a similar rep scheme with a T-bar row, you know, with that pause at like three three seconds down, you know, one second pause at the top, and then thirty second break, and then stir the pot for thirty seconds. <laughs> Man, like, right? That becomes a lot more. I would say we're still training the muscles, but now, you know, that's more of a fat loss goal right there, right? Um, and so those are gonna be gonna, are gonna be shorter. Now, if we're if we're um, if we're training muscle building, you know hypertrophy i'm going to you know try to not use too many big words but for using muscle building your rep like your time under tension is going to be similar like the 30 to 60 seconds right but your breaks are going to be shorter oh sorry longer not shorter uh your breaks will be like one to three minutes because well guess what like if you decrease your breast breaks like 
it's going to be hard for you to 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 um, I would say that have the, as high of an intensity. You won't be able to lift as heavy a weight uh, if you cut your brakes that much. Um, and if you've ever done that, you'll know that that's true, especially later into the sets, right? So now you can use a you know a heavier load, and you have longer breaks, so you can recover more fully, so you can use a heavier load. Then then there's that like you know place that's like a, a general strength slash muscle building you know, that four to six rep range. So, if you, you know, guys have, have obviously probably heard of the, the the famous and very effective, by the way, five, you know, five times five program. So five sets of five. I, I, I actually like love and hate that because, five, you know, five sets of five heavy reps is, is a mofo. Um, but your, your, your work period there is about, you know, 15 to 30 seconds, right? So uh, that's how much time and attention you're going to have because it starts getting heavier. But that's one of those, I, I mean, that's a great, I would say, rep range for most people because they can get stronger and build muscle. Um, but now your rest period is going to be two to four minutes, right? Because it's heavier. Like, it's heavier you need to recover. Like, remember, intensity goes up, volume goes down. Uh, we need longer rest breaks. And then true high-end strength and power work is only going to be five to 15 seconds long. But now you're going to need, you know, three to five minutes, uh, maybe more. And I say maybe more because, you know, really, really, really strong people, uh, imagine if you, you know, I don't know, like I've, I've been hanging out with, uh, Chris Duffin quite a few times and, you know, like he's squatting 860 for three and deadlifting a thousand, um, like three to five minutes might not be enough of a break after that. If you know what I'm saying? Like those are crazy loads, right? Like, so I, I say that tentatively, but you know, you got to rest longer. And like I said, I, I said this earlier, the nervous system takes five to 10 times as long as muscular system to re- recover so if you're pushing intensity you have to rest like you, you just have to rest um so just some just some thoughts um at, on, on this some some bigger thoughts like i will not you know like there is no bad reps like for real like i don't let re- bad reps go because i just believe movement so important and movement quality it, it really is 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 crucial um and just to be you know if you're a coach or even for yourself, you know, if you're just trying to get higher, bigger numbers and you're sacrificing, you know, form, I, I think you're doing it wrong. Uh, I think you never sacrifice form and you, you do it with the right form and you keep getting the numbers up. But that's not only will that get you better results, because, like I said, you'll be in the right positions and the, and the tissues and the muscle will be able to build more because uh, you don't have compensation. You're not loading the joints up. You're loading the muscles up. But also, like, your, your progress will be true and in, in, in integrity, and you won't be beat up, and you'll be able to train longer, you know what I mean? Like, which the goal is forever. Um, and so before you, like, load a pattern, make sure that you do it well. Um, obviously, you know, assessments are important. But like I said, every training session is an assessment, you know. And what I mean by that is, like, you might have, like, somebody might move well, but something happened. You know, they've been sitting all day. They tweak something, not a lot, but just enough, you know, something's off. And that day, you know, you, what they usually can do is, is is not working. So maybe you need to find an ideal pattern that you can load that day in a different way. Uh, and then also, like, find a, a, a pattern you can load immediately uh, to challenge the person. Like, I don't like I don't like to baby people. It's just like finding the right exercise um, so that that we can start loading them in, in, in that way. So just think of that, you know, and I'll give like a really kind of out there example. I mean, I know everybody doesn't have a belt squat. I mean, you can actually do 
a belt squat with, you know, uh, just a belt and like elevated up on benches, which is what I started doing. But like you can squat, right? Because it decompresses the spine. Like, you know, if somebody's got some issues, they can still squat and not um um and not have to, you know, load the bar on their back or or anything else. But like I said, I love, you know, I love double kettlebell squats as one of those first heavier uh, kind of lifts, uh, and and then from there front squats and safety squat, uh, safety squat bar squats, um, before like ever loading the back squat if we even ever load it. So, um, you know the order of exercises is, is interesting because because of course like you know we've always taught kind of big bang you know uh, like big rocks theory like get the bigger stuff in first, which would be your squats, your deadlifts, your you know or or deadlifts slash hinges, um, your presses, your your pulls and things like that. I mean, I'm still a believer in that. I will say that, you know, I've, I use more activator exercises than ever, meaning so like if I'm doing squats, I'm going to do a, you know, maybe a Swiss ball hamstring curl, some valve slide hammy um, hamstring curls, uh, maybe even a GHR, uh, and then go into squats, you know. And, and sometimes like ju- just so you know, like I said, I said this before, like it's somewhat uh, breaking the rules. I've, I've, I've found that being able to, you know, for some people that like have been in the game for a long time, like maybe put the big exercise as the third exercise because they've like done all these other exercises before and how they feel good. The blood's pumping, the muscle activation is there. They got the pump going, you know, doing some pump exercises first um, and then doing the big exercise. So I'm, I'm putting an asterisk on that because once again, like I wanted to share and, and veer off a little bit, but also share what, what, what like I actually do that a lot for myself now because it's really important that I feel great before I do the big lifts. Not to say that I won't do the big lift first right off the bat. You know, so I still think that order of exercises, you kind of want to put, you know, like I said, your big rocks in there, which your big lifts should be your bigger rocks, right? Um, so that's your ones, like that's your big bang, big bang stuff, right? Uh, and like I said, if you're not, I, I do like activator drills before that. So meaning like before bench press, doing things like face pulls, before your squats doing things like you know if you if you had a hamstring curl i man i'd knock that out we actually do band hamstring curls we do swiss ball hamstring curls we do valve slide hamstring curls before that before your deadlift we'll do like you know bent over lap pull downs with a band same thing to activate that whole posterior chain um like i said benches we'll do face pulls stuff like that so uh and there's other things that you can do but then second your seconds is kind of like your higher end accessory work so that might be a supplement you know, to your squats and your deadlifts, a supplement to, you know, your reaches, rolls and presses, uh, your your single leg work, you know, things like that. Uh, and or your primary kind of like muscle building movements. Uh, your 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 threes will kind of be a like uh, clean up a movement restoration, like your, you know, your shoulder health, half, half kneeling split stance, your core work, uh, your isolate, your isolation exercises to bring up a weak link to build some more muscle, like it depends on what you're doing, but you can kind of see kind of the progress of that. Now, this is one thing that I really like. Uh, Once again, this is from, um, I got this from Mike, Mike Robertson. Uh, And do please, like, you know, I'm I'm a big believer. And first of all, guys, like I, you know, I continuously invest, even though, uh, you know, a lot of these guys that I share, like my really close friends, I buy, I still buy all their stuff. Um, I not only buy it, I study it and I go through it thoroughly um, and continue to learn and implement it in my stuff. Um, but you know, the complete code certification from Mike Robertson, like I don't, I don't get any 
kind of kick off here at all. Honestly, it's like it's just it's it's a really 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 great resource. Um, so, but you know, this is one of the things that uh, I've actually learned from Mike before, but it's called a program matrix, and this is something I probably it would be easier to dive into if you were here with me and I, I was showing you this stuff. But the 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 point of it is is that, for instance, right, like if um. Like we just talked about the, you know, going through like R R one through R seven. And if somebody has like you don't just address uh you don't you don't just address, I would say, you know, a thing that's not working right in just one phase of the program, like R one, right? So g- give you an example. So somebody can't extend their hip. Okay. Right? So somebody has poor uh like shitty hip extension and okay so what what are we gonna you know what are some things that we're gonna do well in r1 which is our release we're gonna make sure we we roll out the you know we, we might body temper the quads or you know at least do some foam rolling on that you know kind of glute meat it band a tfl but we're gonna hammer the quads with some soft tissue work and also the calves, right? Because the calves get like when when you can't extend the hip, you know your your calves actually become hip extensors. I know it sounds kind of like funny, but they take a bunch of the load. It's, it's it's actually the reason if you watch a, um, you know when Kevin Durant blew his, uh, I would say first he had a calf strain and then he blew his Achilles, is because his calf was becoming too much of a hip extensor, um, and so in R one we're gonna address that like poor hip extension and we're gonna like temper the quads or roll the quads out uh do some acu mobility you know pin and stretch stuff like we're going to release that we're going to work on the quads uh, sorry in the calves then we're going to go and do some like i don't know like a couch stretch so a positional breathing couch stretch to open up like to not only do our like i said release tension in a reset but we're also going to kind of stretch in this positional way uh, our hip flexors and then we're going to do some hammy activation so we might do like i said we might do some swiss ball hamstring curls while the glutes are on so we want to make sure the glutes and the hamstrings are working together uh and in, and at the end i like doing this these you know squeeze the squ- swiss ball act uh like squeeze it for 10 seconds to activate the glutes and extra and r3 you know we may do something like uh uh let's see I mean, we, we might do some FRC like uh, pails and rails in a 90-90 position uh, and and superset that with a, a glute bridge with uh, exhalation or a, or a band-resisted glute bridge where I'm pulling overhead and getting that rib cage down. From there, you know, in R4, I might be in a half-kneeling position because, you know, half-kneeling positions are great to turn off the, the hip flexors, engage those glutes, you know, and be in a good core position, right? Um so we're training hip extension, but then we're going to do med ball throws, but out at a half kneeling position, right? Then in R5, uh, you know, maybe some of the upper body work is going to be half kneeling work because we're going to do a, a landmine press. Uh, you know, we're going to do uh, some uh, some deadlifts, maybe some supplement work is going to be hip thrusts, and we're going to finish with some pull throughs, right? And then our resilience, our conditioning might be prowler marches. So notice how like through, you know, through R1 through R6, I looked at like that that pattern of poor hip extension and I plugged in a number of different things that are going to affect in a positive way. So it's not just like, oh, well, let's, you know, let's address it in the dynamic warm ups and some soft tissue work and then not address it anymore. 
Like when you, if you want to get somebody really good results and get them moving better, man, I I knocked that shit out like now at least you know five or six times um, in in that in that uh, training session because I thought about the whole thing and that's why you know it's called a program matrix. Um, so you really you know you really want to look at stuff like that um, and. And, uh, and because you're going to get somebody faster results, right? Because you're addressing it so much. So, and you're addressing everything else too. Like they're building muscle, they're moving better, you know, they're getting out of pain, this, that, and the other, right? So, you know, thing, just some things to pay attention to is like that whole like structure of the program. Um, and, you know, where do you fit those things in? Like think about, you know, um, things like work to rest ratios, how impact, uh, you know, how intensity impacts recovery and how you're going to plug that in. And then determining, you know, uh, I would say determining whether uh, it's, you know, a total body routine, it's a split routine, like we're, we're going to touch on that in, in a little bit. But so a couple of examples here, just just quick examples, because we're in R5. We're still in. Remember, we're still in R5 right now. Um, but it's uh, like a fat loss example might be, you know, doing a squat variation uh, and, you know, so 1A, 1B. So like for, for fat loss training, I like to superset most things you know sometimes even uh, like i said we will we'll progress into uh triceps and things like that but you know squat variation with push, push variation and that might be a a, a push-up variation um but it might also be you know depending on where the person's at it might be i don't know a dumbbell bench press and you'll have these two zero one tempos uh you know week one you'll start with you know two sets of 10 and you're gonna have 60 second rest periods right then you have a 2A, 2B superset, and that might be a single leg, you know, single leg variation. So that could be, you know, depending where they're at, split squat, reverse lunge, you know, Bulgarian split squat. Um, and that will be with the rowing variation. And it might be a half kneeling, you know, one arm cable row, for instance. Um, and from there, uh, you know, the same thing, like 201 tempo, two sets of 10 per side, you know, 60 second break. And then your 3A, 3B is going to be maybe a half kneeling uh, variation it might be a core trainer press and then some type of core variation like a, you know maybe a side plank depending on where that person's at and then, then there's your fat loss program right now if i was doing a hypertrophy program a muscle building program i may not superset it now i'm not saying that we don't because i think there's there's merit to it but um you know if it was a lower body but for example i might do a squat variation but now i'm going to you know three sets of 10 uh, i'm going to do two minute rest periods uh, number two is going to be RDL variation. Number three is going to be a single leg variation. Number four, uh, like valve slide, leg curl, or a glue ham raise. And then number five, a core exercise, right? And if I was doing a strength program, you know, I'll look, I'd use the same exercises that I said above, but instead of doing, you know, three sets of 10 uh, for it, I do like, you know, your squat variation would be five sets of five. Your RDL would be three sets of six to eight. Uh, my single leg work would be, you know, three sets of eight to 10, maybe because I'm, I'm still fine with doing a, a little more hypertrophy work there. And then, you know, throwing glute ham raises for for sets of, you know, 10 to 12, if you can do that or some type of variation and then a core drill. Right. So you can kind of see, you know, like we could use the same movement patterns. We're just changing the, the, the rest periods, the time of attention uh, and and that changes the effect, uh, which moves us to. Resiliency. So that's our conditioning, right? So uh, this is where we're improving energy systems, conditioning, work capacity, right? And 
like whether it's a sportswear capacity, sports conditioning, sports-specific work, or life-specific work, right? Just And remember, overall health and wellness and well-being, we do know. I mean, if you guys listen to the podcast with Joe, you know that one of the top markers for um, longevity is a is um i would say the the hrv score right the people that had better conditioning uh live 10 percent longer this is this is real talk so this is this is studies that showed this um and so you know pretty pretty profound i would say uh and and something that apart from you know improving your conditioning uh improving your recovery remember resilience also improves in 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 recovery uh because people think of it sometimes like, oh, cardio is just cardio is just extra for fat loss. And it's like, that's not true. Um, but, you know, it, actually, this, this is from Joel. You know, what is conditioning or energy system training? And, and this is actually a quote from Joel. Uh, conditioning is a measure of how one athlete is able to meet the energy production demands of their sport or, you know, in this case, uh, life. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the sport of life. So there, there's, four, there, there's four ways to produce energy. So an, an anaerobic, so anaerobic means without oxygen, right? There's alactic anaerobic, so that's the ATP and CP pathway. Uh, and that takes like less than uh, 10 seconds, right? Anything that's like usually high intensity in less than 10 seconds. Then you have glycolytic and lactic, and that's, that starts from around 15 to 20 seconds and over up until about 90 seconds. Uh, so we're using the lactic system, and then there's aerobic so the other two pathways aerobic which is means with oxygen and that's the krebs cycle uh which i always think about uh, my my good friend steve krebs uh who i'm pretty sure had nothing to do with creating the krebs cycle uh and then there's beta oxidation right um so yeah actually i'm i'm, I'm just looking at the chart i was a little bit off but like your your lactic system is up to like 10 to 12 seconds right that's how long it can produce energy and then from there, you know, the glycolytic system is that, you know, 60 to 90 seconds and aerobic system can go for hours. But like once again, like you can't produce that much force, like each one of those systems, like as you go through it, you, you produce less and less force. But that's why, you know, you can run a marathon for hours and hours, but there's no way you can produce that amount of force, which brings me to the insanity of the the marathon that just got you know that the two hour marathon mark got uh got got bust got got conquered which they said may not ever be accomplished and it was i'm actually wearing the shoes that the um that that the guy wore when he beat the record and just to understand this he ran four a four minute 26 mile uh so four minutes 26 second mile for 26 plus miles which is absolutely bananas. My best time ever running a mile was like 525 at 205 pounds, which was really good. And, um, and uh, you know, when I, when I was playing ball down in Virginia, like we had a guy from Africa that crushed it. He, he ran a 435, and he was just crazy conditioned. And to think that, the, but he ran one mile, like, you know, 425, 426, and then, you know, nearly passed out. So, 26 miles straight running 426 is absolutely unreal unreal all right so uh so just a quick physiology overview right like your lactic system uh produces you know energy really fast for eight to ten seconds glycolytics produces pretty damn fast too it has 60 to 90 seconds the krebs cycle is slow 
it's minutes to hours um but and but like the net atp but it can produce a lot of atp like there's this net atp score that you guys i mean this gets really geeky shit that i like but uh, i don't think you'll really care but the krebs cycle and beta oxidation like they can go for you know uh, krebs cycles minutes to hours but the beta oxidation is for hours and hours and hours right um so you know just some benefits to your clients and and your athletes um you know First benefit number one is like you can perform more volume in any given training session. The big one of the big, big, big ones, if you build a better aerobic base, you can recover faster between sets, exercises, or drills. Meaning, like, hey, if you're you're on the field, you're, the better your aerobic base and your aerobic system is, like if you do a 15-second sprint, the better your aerobic system is, the faster you will recover to do another 15-second sprint at, at the high intensity. Um, it also helps you recover between practice and training days. So the re- better your aerobic system is, the faster you recover between training. But here's the kicker. If you recover faster, you can train harder and you can train more frequently, which then gets you faster and better results. Um, it also, like for if you're in, in sport and athletics or anything, honestly, you can perform. This is a, a big benefit is that you can perform more high-quality, skill-specific work. So the less tired you are and the more capacity that you have, you can practice at like with really good form at high levels, which is fucking like really important because the more deliberate practice that you can put in for a specific task without getting tired, the faster you're ingrained and get better at it. And just it, it just improve, you know, systemic recovery as a whole, period. Right? Um, period. I just it, it just improves systemic recovery as a whole. And there's so many other pe- benefits like cognitive benefits. Uh, you know, the better your capacity and as your recovery is, like the more tired you are, the harder it is for you to think because basically the energy is being allocated by the brain to recovery and then you can't cognitively think as well. Like there's a lot of cool and geeky stuff that happens. But obviously energy system training is really important and it shouldn't be a side effect. It shouldn't be like, oh, I threw in some fucking cardio. No, like, no, you got to program that stuff in. Um, so you know, the questions that you you need to ask yourself is like, you know, like wh- what are we like what energy system? Well, first of all, it's like, you know, you need to like we do assessments of what energy system people need. But, you know, what determines which energy source we're going to use? Where do you start somebody in their training? You know, and how are the aerobic and aerobic systems tied together? Um, and you, you, you got to kind of go and look at is, you know, what is the client athlete prepared to do and what do they want to do? Uh, like here's my 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 um uh I guess my like my quick recommendation is and and this is very a, a big generalization obviously for most general like clients that want to just improve their life and build muscle and get stronger and you know get leaner and stuff like that I think that like you know working you know on your rope like improving aerobic capacity some you know it's almost like if i had three days of conditioning or i was doing a three-day uh, program you know one day i'd finish with aerobic work another day i'd finish with uh you know al- uh glycolytic lactic work so like maybe things like you know 10 10 second sprint shuttle 50 second rest but like super high intensity and then another one i'd make more glycolytic and maybe those are like you know threshold runs or something like i'm just making giving examples that there's like i said there's a whole world of energy system that I'll, I'll probably, I mean, I'll do another podcast on it. Um, I, I know I'm, I'm doing actually, I'm building a whole, uh, like kind of a little vlog series with Joel that I'm going to break, break down some of this stuff. But, you know, um, there's, you know, and, and here's the thing, like 
this is this is stuff that I'd like for you guys to look up because I can talk about it, but then it just starts getting too geeky, and I, I don't even know if I want to go uh, go here because you know the aerobic development is it, it develops more aerobic enzymes, and there's left ventricle hypertrophy. What that means is that like it increases stroke volume and decreases resting heart rate, right? Which is important. Like it's really important for us. It, it improves capitalization, vascular network. It improves. You know, builds more mitochondria. But a big thing is that it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system. So we'll use also aerobic work. You know, my kind of general rule is that if somebody has a really high resting heart rate, you know, they're 70 plus beats per minute. uh, We're not going to give like we're going to use aerobic work to burn calories, you know, build movement patterns, but then also improve the parasympathetic system because aerobic work builds the rest and digest. Right. So system kind of like recovery. Um, so you can use it for recovery purposes really, really well. And, and we'll plug that. Like, like I said, if somebody's like super str- high strung, they're, you know, working long days, like really, really, really kind of high strung job. Uh, they're already doing their strength training. We're going to use a lot of aerobic development because it's going to help them out. Uh, anaerobic development is more anaerobic, you know, more anaerobic enzymes. And it, it trains the, uh, left ventricle concentric hyper- hypertrophy. So it means that it dis- decreases stroke volume. And increases resting heart rate, um, and so you know it, it also decreases capitalization. There's fewer mitochondria, and it, it stimulates sympathetic nervous system. Right, so we want to make sure that we understand um, what we're doing on that front, and like not you know that's why there, there's also a reason. Like for instance, individuals that work a lot don't sleep enough. You know, just doing high intensity uh, circuit training and conditioning, which builds your, uh, I would say, an, an anaerobic system may not be, and it and stimulates sympathetic nervous system is po- probably not the best stuff. Um, you know, so to, to look at like the programming methods here, uh, let's, let's, let's just kind of th- throw ourselves in here. By the way, once again, uh, you know, one of my best friends, I know I'm plugging it here, but guys, like, you know, if you listen to this and you want to, if you're a coach, you know, you should definitely take this because it's going to make you a better coach. Uh, if you're, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you're a fitness enthusiast, you know, it's worth like and all of these guys put out like free content so you can learn more about it. But, you know, Joel's Bioforce conditioning certification is phenomenal. Um, with that said, OK, so cardiac output training. Well, the, the goal of cardiac output training is is decreasing resting heart rate, you know, via increasing stroke volume, which I, uh, I, I said earlier, increasing work capacity and improving recovery. So this is like, you know, steady state continuous work. I've started doing a lot more of this in my own training. Uh, I feel phenomenal after it. Like I feel like I could take on the world, but like, you know, I trained, but I could, I could um, do so much of it. Like it's, it's like I walk out and I'm like, oh man, I could train so much more. And that's the exact point, right? It's steady state. It's continuous work. You know, you, you kind of want to keep your heart rate between 120 and 150 beats per minute. And it's usually 30 to 90 minutes of training, you know, um, different tools. Honestly, the tools are, you know, endless. But what makes the, uh, um, you know, cyclical stuff is things like bikes and treadmills, whatever. I like acyclic stuff, which is more like circuit. So actually, one of my favorite things to do is uh, anyway, you know, take five to 10 minutes and then do different stuff. Like, for instance, I'll be on an airdyne bike from there. I'll go on the Jacobs ladder like for five to 10 minutes. And then I'll go and push a sled continuously. Uh, and then I might do swings, but like at a lower intensity, right? Like remember, you can control intensities. Uh, I might do battling ropes, right? So I'll just put it in a circuit, go nonstop. You know, I'll have my, my Morpheus heart rate monitor on. 
uh, and I'm looking at my my beats per minute, and I'm just keeping it under 150 beats. You know, and I, I might go like 120, 130. I might do some light mobility drills. I love. I actually for cardiac output, I love doing mobility circuits uh, with intention and just keeping it in a, in a lower heart rate. Um, and you know, if if you think that you'll get slow doing that, you're out of your mind. Um, you can actually look up kind of like fiber type charts and and see. Uh, what happens if you're doing a, a aerobic uh, aerobic training and how it does not affect uh, it does not affect your speed um, and we also know too like you know Charlie Francis if you guys you know greatest speed coach ever um, you know talked about like to develop speed you either work over 90 you know 87 90 percent of your max you know or you work below 70 65 percent of your max like the worst thing is working in between so this is a perfect example of that but like i said like we could go way deeper into that um another programming modality when it comes to conditioning energy systems is high intensity continuous training which i love kaiser bikes are phenomenal for that but anyway so what that does is it increases the capacity of your fast twitch fibers in your work capacity so every here's the thing with this every rep must be explosive and heart rate similar 140 to 160 um and uh you know put it this way five to 20 minutes of continuous work is like one series and you do one to three sets you know so okay so imagine if five to 20 minutes of continuous work would be one set and then you do anywhere from one to three sets per per training session and your breaks are like five to seven minutes in between my favorite thing here uh joe really got me on this is like this like a like a kaiser but like a spin bike uh with heavy resistance so imagine if you're on a spin bike you crank up the resistance and like so hard that like you have to like really push that pedal down and then really push that pedal down but you're not doing it crazy fast like you're just doing an explosive rep and then it should take you about three seconds to do the next one right so it's like explosive one two three explosive one two three explosive right um and uh, another one is stepping uh, step ups with a with a weight vest. We do a lot of that in in our programming. So, uh, you know, I, I just remember I know for one client I just wrote in it was like they had 24 minutes of step ups. Um, and uh, basically, like they explode up, they step down and take a couple of seconds and explode up. Right, it's continuous. Uh, also, prowler pushes, prowler pushes with you know throws and stuff like that. Um, and but what that does is it develops like because you're an explosive, right? you're developing those fast twitch muscle fibers. You're basically building conditioning into those fast twitch muscle fibers, which you can't do with doing just regular stuff. Um, and then going back to like an example I gave earlier, another uh, way to do it is uh, oxidative lifting. So this is like the goal here would be to increase the size of the slow twitch fibers. Also uh, really great for improving joint stability and control. So this is like the 303, 313 tempo that I talked about earlier that we were doing in, in actually in our team training today. It's a continuous motion. You don't lock out the joints. So in, in a goblet squat, for instance, or if you're doing a barbell squat, you'd go down like three, two, one, pause for a second, and then you come up three, two, one, and not lock out. Right before you lock out, you go right back down again, three, two, one, right? And it's about 40 to 60 seconds of work and about 40 to 60 seconds of rest. A good, a good kind of goal is four to six sets, one to two series of that. Um, and this is where, like, you know, push-ups on an incline are great. Split squats are awesome. Bench press is good. Goblet squats, uh, you know, there's different squat variations and tools that you can use for that. Um, 
then uh, we got aerobic power. So here, the uh, it's the increased ability to work at at around aerobic threshold without crossing over. So, I mean, the, the, there's a test that you can actually look up, test to determine aerobic threshold. And, and you kind of want to, you know, this is why I think it's so important to do, you know, heart rate monitor training because um, if you do heart rate monitor training, guess what? Like, you're able to actually see the results and see, like, where you're working versus guessing it. But here's the programming. It's basically a one to three to one work to rest ratio, right? So anywhere from one to, th- one to three to one. So meaning, like, for instance, if you're going to go 60 seconds, uh, you know, you, you might go 60 seconds on, 60 seconds off. But you you could also go 120 seconds on, 60 seconds off, or even... uh uh, uh um, Right, like, makes sense. So anywhere from one to three to one work to rest ratio, and your plus minus five beats per minute of your anaerobic threshold. Like I said, you do that. You got to do the anaerobic threshold test. But what that does is like this training increases your the ability to work around close to your anaerobic threshold without going over. So you know, in MMA fighting, for for instance, give you an example. when you have guys that are really, really jacked and in round one and they're like just punching and their power is crazy, right? Bah, 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 bah. And then you just see them zap out and they zap out and like all of a sudden their power just drops significantly because they, they went past that anaerobic threshold and then they couldn't stay there and then they probably went aerobic, right? So if I can increase the amount, like the, my ability to work around my anaerobic threshold, that means that I can produce more power for longer periods of time without crossing that threshold. And obviously, I'm going to be way more effective. So I'm now I'm talking about, you know, obviously MMA, but this could go for a lot of, like there's a lot of different sports and a lot of different scenarios in life where this would be uh, applicable, right? But it basically is, uh, you know, plus five, plus minus five beats per minute of an anaerobic threshold. You do four to six sets, uh, and then multiple series if necessary. I mean, this is just like kind of you progress it. Like you got to progress conditioning just like you would progress strength training. And once again, I think these are the things that people just don't do. Some good tools here are airdyne bikes, you know, rowers, ski ergs, you know, treadmills, running, stuff like that. Um, and uh, the last couple, are, uh, we got alactic explosive repeats, which is these are ones that I love to do. Actually, you probably see me on my IG stories posting quite often. So this improves the efficiency of the aerobic system to replenish ATP, uh, you know, CP, so creatine phosphate, after high-intensity efforts. This is all-out stuff, about 6 to 10 seconds. You'll usually see me do shuttle sprints. Uh, I'll do 8 to 10 seconds max effort shuttle sprints. And then I'll have moderate recovery, like 1 to 10 or like 1 to 10 or 1 to 5 work-to-rest ratio. So for me, I usually keep it simple. Like I'll do eight to ten seconds sprint, fifty seconds recovery. All right. So it'll be like one to five. Um, the key is not to go lactic, right? Do not go lactic, meaning you should never like spaz out and go into lactic mode. Um, you do multiple series if necessary. Um, prowler sprints, sled sprints, uh, battling ropes, med ball throws, shuttle sprints. Uh, all of those are great. Um, and then. The last one is lactic explosive repeats. Now, these improve the efficiency of the aerobic system to clear metabolic waste and hydrogen atoms from system uh, from your system after high-intensity efforts. Great for fat loss, right? So this is high-intensity all-out, uh, about only 20 to 30 seconds, and incomplete recovery. 
So like this is like a one to three, one to one work to rest ratio and four to six rounds. Really challenging if you really push this shit hard. Some of my favorite stuff to do. And um, like same thing, uh, airdyne bike, prowlers, sled sprints, battling ropes, med ball throws. Um, those are all fantastic. And um, so that brings us to R7. I oh, mean, I thought like this took us, I, I got to like Theo ran out for a second, but I got to ask him where we're at. But um, I got a feeling like we're going to be doing a lot more of these program design, uh, program design uh, podcasts because, man, like I can really keep going on this stuff. Um, so <laughs> bring us to R7 recovery. You know, the rationale is obviously to kickstart the recovery process as soon as possible. Remember, we're, you know, um, we're, we're not like very few like if you talk to most people they never like when it comes to training they really never think about recovery or talk about recovery much let alone you know systemic recovery and like how can we plug it in um we know like we don't we, we don't like progress you know and i say build muscle build strength lose fat when we train we do it when we recover and you know the nervous system drives the show when it comes to recovery so we have to think about recovery not only of the muscular system the robust systems but like also the nervous system and it this is another time where it's a, an opportunity for yourself and or your clients to you know to make them feel great before they leave because most people stop training so I'll give you an example um actually you know i always love to ask questions when we had new people and we get new people in to try our, our our team training during charity boot camps on saturdays we had a couple of new people in again today and like they'll say like oh i've been training here i've been doing this and i'll just ask them stuff like okay cool like so what's this workout like oh what do you guys do so when is it over what do you do and it's like oh we finish with this and then we're you know and, and what then oh like man i'm i'm, I'm done like I, I straight from there i just run out the door and go home right um and what happens is like you're you're leaving in a sympathetic fight or flight state rather than you know i would say uh getting your system your nervous system into a parasympathetic rest and digest state. So it already starts recovering. And there's a lot of different things. I mean, I even tell people like, hey, walk around the block for 10, five to 10 minutes and just breathe. But, you know, you'll see uh, our coach Jess was stronger. So so she'll always, she's got a little five minute thing on her on her, on her her phone that she plugs into the, 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 the sound system. And it's like this little Zen music and they do deep breathing, you know. Uh, and you could just do 10 deep breaths, like full exhalation, like box breathing, right? Four seconds exhale, four second hold, four second inhale through the nose, four second hold. And do that for like 10 breaths, um, you know, and that's like two to three minutes right there. And it's going to be, you know, you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to do like feel way better just off of that. You know, uh, I like when people go on foam roll afterwards, not so much like, it, you know, more like kind of like lymphatic drainage. We, ha- You know, we have... Normatec compression stuff that, that people can use, but like even like just foam rolling, lymphatic drainage, breathing, light stretches, so they can just calm down. Uh, and it's like, hey, what are the, what, what position are they most comfortable in? You know, and some some cues here are just like, um, if you can excel, like I'm a big like if you can excel, because remember most people have problems with exhalation. I just like box breathing is a super simple one, but if you can excel for eight to ten seconds, which most people can't, uh, you know, you, you exhale through the mouth. You pause three to five seconds, and then you inhale through the nose for, well, as long as you can, but most people, it's going to be like five seconds. Um, and the kicker is, like, if you do this right, actually, the, every breath is going to be longer than the next one, right? Because you're going to start getting more and more air and have a different position. Um, you can also do some of the resets that I talked about at the beginning, 
like I said, um, static stretch, you know, stuff like once again, we, you know, we, we have the cryo chamber, which is, which is phenomenal. Like, but you could do contrast showers, hot, cold plunges. I'm going to go hit Banya tonight. You know, I, I try to do Banya Russian bathhouse, um, every week, but there's tons of options here. Um, and actually now that Theo's here, we're going to ask him where we, where are we at with time? My, my friend. At two hours. You know what, guys? I'm going to give you another 10 to 15 minutes. But, um, you know, with, with uh, like I said, with that recovery, there's so many different options. Uh, just make sure that you have people do something before they leave. And, and same goes for you. Make sure that you do something before you leave so you can start kicking in, I would say, that, um, that recovery process. Um, all right. So now that we went through that, I was, you know, I... <laughs> That's that's where that's where essentially uh, we could man we could dive so deep in here. So here, here's what we're gonna do. All right, um, looking at the training day. So I've talked about like uh, actually in the last one um, I talked a little bit about ex- you know examples and and uh, different splits and and layouts for for um, for training. So I'm gonna go over them. Uh, you know I. I I guess like just some examples for fat loss, hypertrophy athletes, you know, general population, like general goals. Um, but when you look at training days, you know, for, for most, like what we're going to look at is basically like, look, total body for general population, for fat loss, for muscle building, for athletes. Then we're going to look at upper lower split routines, general population, you know, muscle building, strength athletes. Body part splits, like I'm not completely against them, you know. Um, I mean, we don't do much of it, like I said, because um, when I say, especially when we program it, because of the most of the people we see and most people don't have, you know, four to five days a week to do it. But like I've I've done a lot of you know physique competitors, bodybuilding, bikini, uh, where we'll do that. Um, and I, you know, I gave up uh, an example of a total body two day example. So this is a really simple, like once again, guys. Um, so for, for instance, if we're doing an AB split and we talked about AB splits where day one would be, um, you know, if, if I have a, if I have an, a two day split, I'm going to do, you know, one day is going to be a squat variation and actually usually it'll be a squat variation and a pull variation. And then, uh, so for instance, in this case, it will be like a squat, uh, and a row, and then it'll be some type of single leg work and a press. And then some type of half kneeling exercise, and then core work. That that's an example. It's not set in stone, but that's a pretty great uh, simple template. Then day two would be a hinge variation and a horizontal slash you know vertical press. Now, like I said, a horizontal vertical press meaning that could be a dumbbell bench. It could be a core trainer press. You know, most people we don't have uh, go over overhead. Then it'll be a step up variation because I like level change. Like Alan Cosgrove calls this level change, right? When we do single leg work, but like, you know, level change and step up variations, which I really, really love. So then you'll be have a step up variation with a horizontal, you know, rowing slash chin variation. Um, then we do an accessory shoulder exercise and core abdominal work. So that's a great A-B split right there. Remember, those are supersets. It's a total body example, general pop. We can get that done in a, um, you know, in, in less than an hour with everything in there, right? Uh, upper lower split example would be a, for instance, squat, like for instance, squat variation. The second would be a supplemental hinge. 
Then we'll do a split stance lunge, uh, integrated knee flexion. Like I said, that could be a glue hand raiser or, or something like that. And then core abdominal work. Five exercises, right? Upper body example, bench press variation, rowing variation, uh, supplemental press variation. So that could be a push-up or it could be you know a dumbbell bench or something like that. Uh, shoulder accessory work, gun show. Yep, it's in there, baby. And then core abdominal work. So that's your lower upper example. And uh, like I said, you know, you have uh, weekly layouts, for, like mostly the, the way that like, you know, what we see um, our weekly layouts for training and lifting is, you know, general population will usually, you know, two times a week in season athletes will be two times a week, three times a week. We'll have general population uh, off season athletes uh, and strength athletes, you know, doing three times a week doing total body because if they're doing three times a week, they're going to do total body. And then four times a week, we'll have off-season athletes doing, you know, upper-lower routines or strength athletes doing upper-lower routines. Remember, the key here is this. I think this. Uh, I think Steve was the person. Steve Clarko uh, was the. I, I love that he said uh, he has these acronyms called ACE and it's uh, adherence, consistency, and effort. Right? There's got to be adherence and there's got to be consistency <laughs> before before effort. You know what I mean? It, and and there's some pros and cons to like. You know, two times a week training is a great starting point uh, for, you know, it's, it's great for strength and performance maintenance for athletes. Uh, and it definitely can improve adherence and consistency because people can be consistent with it. It's hard to improve. Like the cons of it is there's hard to improve past the early phases. You know what I mean? Like um, it's hard to make progress like years in, you know, um, and the training can become monotonous. Uh, also, it also is impossible almost to use it. Not impossible, but it's very hard to use a split routine. Um, so that might be. And the thing is, like, you know, depending on the client, but like a m- Monday, Thursday, if they were training like that. And if it was, you know, if you're adding, for instance, if you're adding like, let's say you had strength training Monday, Thursday, then Wednesday, you know, Wednesday, Saturday could be conditioning. But like I said, it, you know, what's practical, and what's optimal? I'm always, you know. When I when I start giving examples, honestly, you could throw a lot of the shit out the window because we have people that come in and go like, "Look, I can train Monday when like we've had people to go like I can train Monday through Wednesday, that's it, and I can't do you know Thursday through Sunday, and so we'll go like, all right, well shit, how can we do Monday and Wednesday is strength training, Tuesday is their their you know uh, a conditioning day, and then can we get them to do another uh you know aerobic conditioning day somewhere towards the end of the week and a body weight circuit at home like right like i mean it once again op, you know practical optimal right um like if, if it was a in-season athlete you know we might do train heavy on tuesday and then thursday we'll go light and then on saturday they have a game right so we're looking at stuff like that so three times a week training uh obviously the inc- frequency increases i think that for most people this is a great one right you increase the frequency and total volume. There's more variation that you can do. Um, sure, there's more time commitment, but most people can do, um, you know, three times a week. And then there's increased recovery demands, obviously. Um, and this is kind of like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, you know, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, all things that I that I love. Uh, very similar, I would say. Um, but, you know, making sure that obviously you you alternate intensities. I talked about the things that I love as far as intensities, even throughout the week, like if we undulate intensities within the week and then we can do them, um, uh, like I said, high, uh, medium, very high, low, or progressing every week, stacking, right? And then we have, you know, four times a week training, which is 
you know, increased frequency, increased total volume, maximal amount of variation, obviously. Uh, much easier to use a split routine, which per, my, is personally my favorite routine for me. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, with clients, you got you to take that out and look at wants and needs. Now, the thing about the four times a week is a lot of people may not be able to recover from it. Now, and that's why you got to adjust the volume and a lot of different things. Um, and, you, you know, four times a week total body is very, 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 uh, let's just say is um, it's tough. It's a tough one. Right. So and, and of course, it's not like, you know, th- this is the other part of it is like it's easy to talk about like, oh, well, training more is better and this, that, the other. But it's not how hard you train is what you can recover from that really matters. Um, and, and just understanding like, you know, uh, how to how to build these training blocks out. Right. And, and, and just like on a, on a monthly layouts, I'm just going to give you guys like a really kind of quick uh, thought process here, um, because th- this is more so, you know, if you think about blocks and mesocycles, you know, uh, like a training block is or mesocycle is 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 higher in volume and lower in intensity and lower intensity An intensification block is a training block that's lower in volume and higher in intensity. And then a realization block is a training block that closely mimics the specific needs and demands of the chosen sport, you know, so speed, power, conditioning. So for general general population, you're really never, I don't want to say never, but you're not going to go into the realization block much. Uh, but I will explain where that might come into play. So, you know, fat loss, for instance, accumulation would be higher volume, lower rest. Then if we went into intensification, we'd probably decrease the volume. We'd increase the density. We might increase complexity. And realization would be like if somebody's like getting ready for a photo shoot or stepping on stage in bikini, this, that, the other, because that would be saved for kind of like the final phase fat loss. You know, with an athlete, the accumulation phase is, you know, we're, we're working on movement quality. We're, we're, mo- we're working on tissue tolerance. Right. We talked about how to build that tissue tolerance up and just baseline conditioning and then intensification phase. We're increasing force production. So we want to get that strength up. We want to teach the body how to produce more force. Uh, we're going to increase conditioning and then realization phase in most in most athletes, we're going to increase power uh, and, and lactic conditioning there. So with that said, uh, you know, the, the last thing would be like, don't think in terms of right and wrong, but make sure that you have like rationale behind everything that you do in your programming. Like really, it's it, it's like if I, you know, if, if I looked at your program and, and like for ask you about the client. And thoroughly ask you about the client, then you know in that case, uh, and, and I'd go like, okay, cool. Well, why is this here in a program? Why is this in the warm up? Um, why is this here? Why is this here? Like, you should have a rationale behind it, and, and that's why I'm like, there's no right or wrong. And like every time uh, I I talk about program design, there's like even in my head as I'm talking to you guys, uh, it pops up to like, well, it depends. Well, but what if you know? Um, and and I look at even like my own programming sometimes where it just veers off. But um, like I do stick, I mean, first of all, I run everything through R7, period, you know. But there's so much, you know, there's so much different. Like, for instance, could you within that like do giant sets? So if you guys know what giant sets are, those are like four exercises back to back, right? Um, I was just doing something from, I think, Smitty to Franco, like in one of my programs where it's, you know, basically I'm doing, I'm doing a 30-second uh, kettlebell row hold, and then from there I'm going straight into to dumbbell rows, and then from there I'm going into uh, straight into dumbbell chest supported flies, and then from there I'm going to band pull aparts. Right, it's just like this 
upper back lat smasher, right? Could I put that into R7? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. You can still break that stuff down, right? Uh, and I talked about like breaking the rules a little bit, doing pre-activation drills before the big exercises. Like sometimes I'll do two, you know, sometimes I'll do two exercises before I do a big lift, like a trap bar deadlift. Like I've, I've done, I would say, um, you know, lap, uh, band, band resisted lap, uh, like lap pull down hinge and then gone done hip thrusts. And that was my first superset of exercises. Then from after that, I'd go and do trap bar deadlifts because they'd feel great because my glutes were like really, really uh, activated. I did, I did a bunch of postural drills uh, and it worked great. So like, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, but the rationale behind it, like if you ask me why I'm doing it, I'd be like, well, here's the deal, right? Like um, I've had back pain, this, that. When I do these drills, I feel much better. Uh, I may not be able to lift as much if it was the first drill, but here's, but I feel better. And here's the, I'll finish off with this because if somebody feels off and their hip is off or this, that is off, there's a threat to the system. I can tell you right off the bat, like if I feel something's a little off, like I get worried in my head and then thus I will not be able to produce as much force because my body down regulates the nervous system because it's like, ah, look at these, something's off. So I'm not going to produce as much force. I'm going to keep you protected. So that's, a, you know, and, and this is a whole different conversation that we could go into about programming to make people feel safe. People that have had, you know, experience of pain, injury, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, creating a protocol where they get warmed up thoroughly and then they do all these ramp up sets and, pump you know pump exercises to make them feel the muscles so by the time they get to the exercise that's their main strength exercise they're feeling confident you know they're feeling confident and they're feeling like man i feel great i feel those muscles working and now their brain is like all right i'm good to go so of course it's gonna it's gonna upregulate the nervous system there won't be any threat like threat and down regulation and it'll do it better so see what i'm saying like it, there's a lot of like ifs and buts about it but i like to share this stuff uh, because a lot, you know, I, I study this, but for me, it's been, you know, currently 24 years of lifting without missing more than a week. Um, and I don't know, I, I think I calculated some ab- absurd number of between my own training and coaching others. Um, you know, it's experience and I stay in the trenches every day, still to this day, um, you know, train 80 people this morning, um, in, in either small group personal training or, or team training. And, uh, you know, work with now starting to work with a lot of, you know, super high level athletes again. Uh, but but just everything you've ever seen from every walk of life, few spines, broken necks, crushed shoulders, um, you know, every goal that you can imagine, everything that you can imagine. And that's the only way, you know, <laughs> I think it was Louis Simmons that said the answers you ask lay in the weight room. Right. It's like learn the stuff, but then go in the weight room and experience it. And research usually is about five to 10 years behind confirming the shit that all the top people are doing in the trenches. So, you know, sharing this stuff with you guys is like it's frameworks, it's some thought processes. It's def- I mean, you could take this and use it for forever. Um, but if you walked into Vigor and saw my own training, maybe you'd go like, hey, man, are you you're not completely sticking to some of the stuff that you said? As long as you go like, why not? And like, I'll give you the rationale behind it. Uh, you know, we could veer off because like I said, there's pr- like principles or uh, uh, principles. Methods are many, principles are few, methods change, principles never do. Uh, first time I heard that little Ryan poem was from Alan Cosgrove. I believe in it, you know, and, and, and kind of live by it. That there's a lot of different methods that you can plug in 
but there are certain principles we want to stick to. And with that said, my friends, I can't believe that two and a half or two hours, 15 minutes went so fast. I got so much more to say. But that's why this podcast is here so I can continue to say it. Damn it. I appreciate you. I love you. Thanks, guys, for being here, listening to this. Hope you got a lot out of it. I love the feedback. You know, please jump on iTunes, leave a review. Uh, Love those five stars. Really appreciate them. I read every single one of them, and I can't thank you enough for sharing, um, you know, in in your thoughts and and your feedback. It really helps me out. When you share it, when you, you know, plug it, I would say plug it and share it with other people, Uh, more people will get to I guess learn from this. And as with anything that I always say, make sure that you do something. So anything that you've learned, implement one thing. If you do that once every week, 52 weeks a year, next year, you're going to be a lot better. Love and appreciate you. Coach Lucas out. Peace.